0: Imagine trading a leather flight jacket for an army helicopter, or how about trading some live lobsters for air conditioning units that you deliver to some nuns that live in the mountains of Vietnam, or how about landing your Huey gunship on board a nuclear submarine at 2am after a few cocktails with the ship's XO to evacuate an injured sailor. These are just a few of the many stories that can only have originated from a Marine. On today's episode, I welcome retired Marine Colonel Don Bubba Beaver a texas boy who served multiple tours in vietnam as a huey gunship pilot he's a plank holder at moths one a successful businessman and a great battle buddy to drink beers with at the neighborhood pool i'm your host susan and this is the ready room podcast Colonel Don Bubba Beaver, welcome to the Red Room Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Uh great season. Always good to be with a pig. Thanks for
0: being the lucky number one here on yeah. the on the podcast, man. Taking that grenade.
1: Yeah, I'm used to being a guinea pig.
0: Okay, yeah. good, good, yeah. man. Yeah. That sounds like well, appreciate you taking one for the team. Yeah. So you were born the son of an Air Force officer in Tyler, Texas. How was that?
1: Air Force Brat. Dad was uh flying uh B twenty nines. Then he got into B twenty nine pilot. B twenty nines. Then he was a bombardier navigator on B twenty nine. Okay, actually competed in the last uh, made the last third from last uh, two other crews beat him out for the Enola Gay. No kidding. Mission. Yeah.
0: All right. So for those of you who don't know who the Enola Gay is, hit your history books. The Enola Gay is was the first aircraft to drop uh, the atomic bomb on Japan.
1: Yeah. So then he got in uh, after they uh, created the air force from the Army in 47. He uh, transitioned from the 29s to the B-36s, and from B-36s, he uh, moved on into B-52s. So I was a service brat, followed him everywhere, didn't live in East Texas very long, uh, and then uh, moved on out from there. So it was was kind of a privilege to kind of watch different kind of leadership. My first leader that I learned a lot from was my dad. Nice. Did he...
0: Did you get a chance to ride in a B-29? No. No. Did he take you for a ride at all?
1: Not at all, but we got to use the chin bubbles, and uh, they used them for coolers because they were quite large, and then we used them for boats. What's a chin bubble? The chin bubbles that were on uh, all the big 29s. If you ever see the big thing, the big glass, plexiglass windows they had on them. Yeah, the nose, big, yeah. the nose of the aircraft. So, yeah, they will hold about five kids going
0: across the river. <laughs> Yeah. Is that real? Yeah,
1: that's oh, real. Shit. And then what, what's better is now I wish I had one because I hold a whole lot of beer.
0: You know what? That'd be a solid cooler, man. Yeah, take it, take it over to the neighborhood pool. Absolutely. Where'd you get that? Oh, my dad's B-29. I'd B-29.
1: Okay. And what, the other thing was the outdoor pools where the uh, life, uh, the lifeboats, because in a B-36, your crew was, uh, could be as many as 17 folks, so those life rafts were quite large. Wow.
0: So it was fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So then, all right. So, grew up Air Force brat, bounced around.
1: Bounced around a little bit, but I was fortunate. Seven formative years, first through eighth grade in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And then uh, uh, Dad went to Command and Staff College in Montgomery. Alabama. Alabama. All right. At Maxwell with everybody. And then we went to Bellevue where Dad was at SAC headquarters. All right, SAC. Strategic Air Command. All right, so that's Cold War, right? That's Cold War. Now it's, uh, what is it, some joint uh, strategic something but it's right. you know joint
0: uh sometimes even a marine commands it so, so were they i mean this is mid cold war this is nuclear era yeah you know they're yeah. talking Soviet we're in high school tactics. there in Bellevue,
1: nebraska doing our thing and uh i was uh looking at going to the university of nebraska and uh my mother made a statement one time at the dinner table i want you to go to college as far away from home as possible thanks so mom I, I felt the love Sure, definitely. A lot of love. love there, Mom. Really a lot of love. She just didn't want to hear anything. Yeah. She didn't want to hear anything what her son was doing. So uh, that along with the other statement, telling my little brother she didn't want him to grow up anything like me, that she swore to God from then on out that she never said that before, but I, it hurt my feelings. Sure, yeah, really. So you were not
0: the favorite in the family. How many were? You, how many kids are in your family? Just two of us. All right. So my definitely- brother was
1: seven years younger than me. I was back from Vietnam, and he was still going to high school. Oh man! So there's a big gap, yeah. in, in maturity in that regard. Hey, don't well, be he like was your like, older brother. Yeah, he was a lot more mature than I was.
0: Yeah. So from uh, where did you end up going to high school?
1: Bellevue, Nebraska, which was right there at uh, Omaha. Or, it's a little town outside of Omaha where all the SAT kids went.
0: All right. And you played any sports or anything in high school?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Played baseball, track, football, a little bit of everything.
0: What was your favorite?
1: Baseball. Were I you any good? Uh, I was, yeah, I, I, high-end uh, American Legion. Tried to get scholarships to a few places, a couple of places that would take me. Actually lost their credentials uh, the year after I would have gone there. So that's good that I didn't go ended up uh, seeking a half scholarship at A&M. Texas a M. yeah yeah at the time and uh, that would have worked uh, except for the fact they didn't have girls there I see and so then I said no I've got to find a school where they have girls yeah, I wasn't I, I need, need to study I I wasn't Catholic there. I didn't go to I didn't need to be uh, at an all you know.
0: Sure. I'm tracking, man. Girl school. Yeah, absolutely. school. So, yeah. so what'd you decide for college?
1: Well, I went to East Texas, which is a, uh, at that time it was uh, only about 10,000, but it was good sports, good athletics. Didn't have baseball, but at the same time, uh, they offered me a, a, a scholarship and uh, as a trainer. And I said, hell, I was going to study sports kinesiology or sports medicine for a while, but I think I changed majors four times in my four and a half years there because all I was going to do is graduate and go fly. Okay. I had that in mind the so whole time. So what did
0: you, for the majors, what did you bounce around in? You started with kinesiology?
1: Yeah, uh, sports medicine. Okay. And I uh, ended up, I think, with psychology. Well, that's and, a stretch. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, I was pretty I was pretty smart. I was up there with Freud and those guys. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Yes. Freud, all those other yes. high-thinking
0: individuals. Yes,
1: I think I told a girl that was overweight one time that her problem for not getting dates was she's just
0: fat. That is psychology 101. Calling it the way it and is. So you're just a natural. Come to grips with it. Yeah. Just up front. Up Hey. Okay.
1: You can start treating yourself now if you know what's <laughs>
0: oh, wrong. Dude. Okay. Just honesty one-on-one. Yeah. Okay. Really. All right. So then how was the ROCC program at?
1: Oh, yeah. Stages? And then I was in the Air Force ROTC program. Yeah. And that was my first negative feedback with leadership. Uh, my dad was leaving for Vietnam. Actually, what was amazing about our life together is Dad and I, uh, dad w- went to Vietnam and was there two years before I was, two and a half years before I was there. So my mother prayed us both home. So wh-
0: what timeline is this? I mean, you're in high school. He's
1: he's uh, there in 60, uh, 67, and I'm there in 69, 70. So
0: he's there on the on the front side. Yeah, well, you know where, middle, he was, yeah, you know where he was? He was in Da
1: Nang and then went out to a remote uh, airfield outside of near Tonsonute.
0: And were his was his role as the sack. That's what he, he wasn't in sack at that time. So he was just flying. He was a
1: strategic planner at the time. He would debrief the Washington bigwigs. Matter of fact, he would fly back to Hawaii and debrief Johnson all the time. Johnson. Yeah. President Johnson. Oh yeah. Jeez.
0: Yeah. I gotta punch myself. Yeah. yeah. Go back to my history books yeah. here. So the uh, Baines Johnson.
1: Yeah, he would go back and brief those guys. And then um uh, I he was going to deploy to Vietnam. And I went to at the time it was our Spring, we were getting out. It was getting out for the summer, and we still had finals, and I would have missed my dad leaving. And so I went to all my professors and told them that my dad was leaving, and Texas was fairly conservative. So every professor said if I would take the grade that I currently had at the time, I was welcome to uh, leave early. Uh, one, one professor told me that I need to take a, an oral, and I did, and I, I passed that no problem. But I was satisfied. I looked at my grades. I had pretty much Cs, and I said, oh, Polish hundreds, and I grabbed all of them. Yeah. Nice. I, Polish hundreds. Polish hundreds. But the one professor in the whole group would not let me go, and it was the uh, Air Force uh, Military Science professor.
0: And you're in the ROTC program. And I'm in
1: his program. And, and that was the no. first sign of poor leadership that I ever saw in my life. And uh, I just told him I was not going to play this game, and that while they're the, they're doing Mickey Mouse things... I. I really had to bite my tongue. I, I totally was disrespecting somebody in the Air Force that I respected highly at the time. And I knew when I got home that my dad would not be happy, but actually he was very proud of the way I stood up for myself because of the fact that he got to see me before he left. We got nice. to spend five great days together. Okay, nice. Yeah, and he got back no harm, no foul, but you didn't know that at the time. Sure. You know. Sure. So
0: and so after you, know, you have your fun conversation with your Air Force professor, What's uh What's next then?
1: Well, next is we're back for two a days, uh, and I'm there, and I see the staff sergeant coming across the football field, and he says, "Hey, by the way, you there's a meeting tomorrow." Of Wait, all staff
0: sergeant of in the Air Force, in okay, the
1: ROTC, you know, yeah. And he came across and he said, uh, "You need to know there's a big meeting tomorrow of all the officers and staff NCOs, and you've been promoted to staff sergeant over to And I said, "You don't understand. I'm not in this Mickey Mouse outfit anymore, and that meant a scholarship as well." So uh, he 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 was very perplexed. He said, Well, what are you gonna do? I said, I don't know. So you gave up your scholarship? I gave up the scholarship and I just just was waiting for the future. That day I walked into the student union building and there was a Marine there with good looking uh blue uh, trousers with a big blood stripe down the side. He was a major. I said, Do you all have airplanes? He said, Certainly do. I said, sign me up. Oh man, and good that's for, how good I got that's how he really yeah. he says you are an easy sell. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No, I hope you made two and two, and yeah. I came close, so I
0: got in. Can you see straight? Do you have a brain? Yeah, you will sign you. Can you breathe oxygen? During, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we're, we're you, looking for help. Yeah, if yeah. you could breathe oxygen and walk yeah. and yeah. have a brain, you, we got you. Yeah, so there it was. So the decision was so made. So that was it. He was in his blues? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, blues God. and uh, Charlie's.
1: He was yeah. actually in his short sleeve Yeah. shirt. But yeah, it was good. looked yeah. good.
0: Absolutely. Look good. So it was yeah. the uniform they got you. Yeah, yeah. I said, I can
1: probably get lucky in this uniform.
0: Motivation one on one. Don't go to a college that doesn't have girls. That's right. And wear a uniform that gets girls. That's right. That's okay, right. folks, you heard it here. Yeah.
1: First off, yeah. All
0: right. Yeah. So,
1: what happened after that? My uh, current wife of uh, over fifty three years and I met that summer. I mean that that very semester as well. We went on to uh, graduate. And I went to OCS for the twelve weeks and uh, graduated uh, first. They offered me a regular commission
0: and. Uh, you first in your company at yeah, OCS, yeah, no kidding, yeah. Rockstar. Well, that
1: wasn't, you know, you got to look at all the. You're talking about a whole bunch of people like me, <laughs> so uh, they offered me a regular commission at that time, and I didn't know what regular commission was, although I really did because my dad had told me it was great, and I knew he was one, and he told me there was job security and everything, but that isn't what I was looking for. You know, I entered the whole thing thinking that I will m- make a career as long as still fun. Or they tell me it's time for me to go. I want to be there in control of my own destiny. Mm-hmm. The key there in those days was that guys with an aviation contract did not go to the basic school. They went straight to flight school.
0: You got to skip the basic school. I
1: got to skip the basic school. Oh, man. I exempted it because I was, again, smart. I was, you know. Strategic thinker Strategic here. thinking. Gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if I would have taken a regular commission, I would have had to. You didn't. You were still guaranteed your your flight right. contract, but if something happened during that time, you wouldn't. You'd get another MOS. Right. So um, I I went straight to Pensacola. So
0: OCS straight
1: to Pensacola. straight to Pensacola.
0: What year is this right now?
1: This is nineteen. Uh, this is uh, September of
0: sixty-eight. September sixty-eight. <clears throat> All right. So you're, I mean, you're Vietnam starting to pick up at this time. I yeah, mean, it was.
1: Well, it was in the heat right there. It was yeah. really hot there. Sure, because Ted and, was
0: sixty-eight, right? Yeah. So okay. All right. So talk us through flight school in Pensacola.
1: Well, that was fun. I mean, uh, that was my first experience in quality leadership because my first commanding officer, who was actually the head marine of all the uh, the student pool of all the marines there, was actually the great Santini, Don okay. Conroy.
0: So let's uh, we got to anchor on that for, for those of you who aren't familiar. One, we're recording in Buford, South Carolina, and anybody familiar with Buford knows the great Santini. So take a minute and talk about Don Conroy.
1: Well, he was amazing, but you didn't know he was the great Santini. You know, at that time, I didn't know he was the great Santini until sure. I was a major. You know, I didn't know. I just knew who he was. He had a great way about him. He uh, commanded respect, but at the same time, he wasn't uh, full of himself. You know, he... Uh, was uh, easy to communicate with, and I was a second lieutenant, and he was a full bull, you know. I was actually doing casualty calls, which they had about five of us hand-selected that we went out and made casualty calls while we were in the pool status waiting to go through the classes, talking to the people in that region who had been killed in Vietnam. Oh, so you Not were— fun. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: So, hang on, so you were—I mean, you're in your alphas? Yeah. In alphas? Making a casualty call with the, with, with the chaplain. You're the Keiko yeah all right so that's the casualty assistance control officer that's yeah. who brings the news to the families when uh someone dies yeah
1: and he kind of he kind of took those guys under his wing so we had a closer relationship with him because that's he didn't rough. usually see the rest of the guys the rest of the time because they were out playing golf fishing doing what they did and we got our fair share of that as well while we were waiting to get into class uh but uh yeah can you I talk us through them.
0: one of those experiences because that's a rough go. I mean, you're a second lieutenant in flight school. It's and- a rough
1: go. Uh, the, the, you know, and if you ever watch We Were Soldiers, you could see how the Army was so messed up. They never made casualty calls initially in Vietnam. They just got a telegram. It wasn't a singing telegram, but you have just won $25,000. The right. entry fee was your husband. Sure. And I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just saying it was really, really poorly handled at that time. The Marine Corps was always hand-holding, putting their Marines first. And it didn't matter if it was a PFC or if it was a major general. Were you a team or
0: were you by yourself when you
1: did it? You made it with a chaplain. And, uh, yeah, we drove around. I mean, the Red Knit Brute in Alabama, you know, we had that quadrant there in the the, uh, Florida panhandle. And uh, it was interesting. It wasn't just officers. It was anybody. Yeah, that's and, intense. Uh, yeah, and it was uh that time the I think it was $25,000 they got. But uh yeah that, that was interesting. It was sobering. And God bless those families. You know, God bless them today. And uh, it it was just uh you left there Did that have a,
0: a an effect on your kind of mindset as a future, you know, pilot in the Marine Corps?
1: I think you see the value uh the commitment and the investment that families make. You know, and I will tell you, uh, from that point on, and this isn't uh, partly what I also learned, there was always a we component. There was never an I component in anything that I tried to do. When I would see families as a lieutenant colonel or a colonel, and they'd come in and thank me after I was prom- I promoted their staff sergeant to Gunny or I'd given them their Lance Corporal some a request uh honors in some way or another. You know, the parents were there. Yeah. And uh they would say, We thank you so much. I says, No. I mean he says, uh, he's very important to us. I mean, without him, we wouldn't be able to be as successful as we are. And we're a team. I would never say they work for me. We all work together. And uh I think that was the takeaway that I learned from some of the best leaders they ever worked for. Is that you work together. Together. Yeah. 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 There you go. It's not we you don't work for me these rings don't work that's right they don't work
0: for me right we're together got it yeah it's a good philosophy yeah yeah all right so after uh when you're not doing keiko duties what's student in pensacola what are you flying right now what's the first pipeline that you're going through
1: you're flying the t-34 and it was uh we thought it was an airliner but it was a (laughs) small piece of junk yeah fly the t-34 not the char. it wasn't a turbo it was just the t-34 then we moved on to the uh which we thought was a Boeing seven forty seven. We moved on to the T twenty eight, T twenty eight. Yeah, big eighteen twenty had big old jugs on it. I mean, the Air America was flying it in Vietnam when I was there. It was a cool bird. They loaded that thing down. Okay, that it painted it black. And how long like, is the
0: syllabus? So you do the T thirty four for how long and the T twenty eight? I went,
1: uh, I, it, I can't remember. Uh, it was probably about six to eight weeks. The thirty four, and depending on what phase I was in in the T. Uh, Twenty eight because we hit the boat in the T twenty eight. We carry quality on the Lex
0: on the with the T twenty eight. Wait, The T twenty. I got to bring this up. That's a single engine, single engine, prop, prop, eighteen twenty. they you're landing Lycoma. on the boat.
1: Yeah, and you're landing on the boat. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big hook. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, I bet. five day, three night landings. Yeah.
0: Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you do with the boat? I, I mean, you're good. still alive. I so. did. I did good. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it was fun uh, training because we'd be out in this one remote field. Every day, and you'd get up early, and you'd go out there, and you'd do that till about ten thirty, and then you'd stop at this phenomenal cheeseburger dive, an old gas station, and drink cold beer for about four hours, and eat those cheeseburgers, and then go home and do it again the next day, and start again. Oh, the that's next a good, day. that's good living. And then you're ready, you know. Yeah, then you're. Ready. I will remember. I will remember <laughs> this. That the, the, the Sunday before you go hit the boat, they have an open house. The wives are invited, and you're all out there walking on the flight deck. You're saying this thing is huge. I could, oh, I mean, this is. What boat are you landing on? Lexington, the old lady Lex. Holy it cow. was really, oh, I know. It's uh, a straight deck, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a straight no, deck. I think they'd finally put a. Uh, was it angled deck? I think they'd put an angled deck on it. I'm not for sure. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, it didn't have oars. I know it had an engine. No oars, had a real yeah, engine. Yeah, yeah. That's a wind. Yeah. But uh, we're out there and I said, this is huge. So now we're airborne. We're out there. We're at uh, a thousand foot. And you're being chased by an instructor, so there's four birds in the flight. And then the instructor, and they said, gentlemen, the bird farm is 9 o'clock low. And from 1,000 feet, which isn't very high, you look down, and I'm saying, thinking to myself, I see a fishing boat down there. I don't think I see the carrier yet, but it was the carrier, you know, and I'm going, oh, shh.
0: little spot of gray. A little, a little spot, little of, spot gray. of gray. And
1: then we broke down into the pattern, you know, and started from there jeez man your final land is your final the fifth was a final landing and then you waited till official sunset and then you did the three night traps and came home
0: so was that about a week you're out of the boat no no you were only there a day oh no kidding yeah nice not yeah.
1: now some people got delayed because either the, you had a weather move
0: in or they had an issue with something or okay but yeah for your instructors in the boat you had you had lso's yeah what were these guys like? They were good the, the guys. Paddle the from paddles, the the dudes. Paddles
1: were good. You know, mm-hmm. they were using real paddles. Matter of fact, I used to have one of the light suits. The actual, you know, oh my the actual God. light suits. I used to wear it to parties all the time. I, somehow, in all my moves, I've. Lost this is what that the paddles guys were wearing yeah. when they're out there with their paddles. The light suits. All right, yeah. so folks, that's going to yeah.
0: be another podcast. We're going to talk LSO culture and paddles and. Oh which is the greatest coach in the world breakdown you're an lso i'm an lso yes so i'm a paddles but back in the day these guys were nuts so talk us through what the paddles are doing in 1968 to help you land on the carrier
1: well you know they're just giving you the the signs with your high low and giving you the the to to cut it off and then to take the chop you know they're giving you the chop i hit it when i was practicing there at the I, i wish i could remember the name of that remote field but One time I hit it so hard that the whole quadrant, the throttle quadrant, came off and went into pieces. And unfortunately, there was the button there that controlled your uh, communications back to the paddles. And I was trying to take back off again, give it gas and fly and try to find that little button with all the wires that were there and try to talk to him. (laughs) Finally came around for final landing and... uh, and had a beer, but no, those
0: guys were great. Yeah. they knew what they were They doing. have a lot of fun you had too. all
1: and if you as long as you have a great trust in them, they would look out after you. okay,
0: yeah, that's awesome. yeah, it and was we awesome. could we could break in in the paddle's rabbit hole for days. so yeah. we' we'll, we'll keep moving on here. yeah, all right, so you're you finish up with the boat t twenty eight and then when is selection when it comes oh, to Oh the
1: selection was uh, you know th- through we had already made uh, the pipeline selection before that. In those days, uh, historically, depending on the size of the class, I think by the time everybody had gone through academics and gone through physical training and everything again, we had about 25 or 30 guys in our class. And they had uh, said the top 10 could go fixed wing, and then the next it would be up to the desires of the Marine Corps for the rest. But the top 10 could pick the, the pipeline they wanted to go. All right. I was number seven in our group so i could go one way or the other uh, again i looked at the uh, numbers and uh if you were uh, going to jet pipeline there was no way you were going to get to vietnam so i said i want to go gunships but they didn't have a gunship pipeline it was either or you just go it was helos, you know, it was helos or jets or jets and, I mean, was, and then you got to roll the dice right. again when so you get to helos
0: if you get helos you don't know what you're getting yeah and what correct. were the choices for helos the helos
1: at the time? were 53s 46s Kiwis, and a small number of uh, Cobras. A lot of the Cobra drivers were being trained, believe it or not, by the Army. They would go to the Hilo rag and then be sent to the uh, Army.
0: What it. was the most coveted of all the of the of the key helos? Was it gunships? It, it, I
1: I think it really depended on what you wanted to do. A lot of guys didn't want to go gunships. I did. Uh, a lot of guys wanted bigger crew airplanes. I guess. Um, and I don't know what they thought that would get get them, but um, you know, so when I went when I was number 7 and I chose to go helos that opened up a spot so number 11 now was in and that's how it worked.
0: You could you could pick. Okay. All right, so you pick uh, helos. Yeah, three of us did. Three of us in the top 10 picked helos. All right, so you pick helos yeah. and then when do they announce, "Hey, you're going gunships?" Are these pulling names out of a hat or how did it work out
1: after your helo training. They could see how you adapted. Historically, I, I guess when looking back at it on hindsight, if you were more independent, maybe that was a, distract, uh, a deciding point for where you might be better at guns or the smaller birds because of the air crew coordination. You probably were going to be a co pilot or a left seater in a uh, helicopter for transport helicopters for longer okay. time six, seven, eight months. Sure. Historically, then um, in combat, you were.
0: There as long as you needed it, and then there was no magic number to, to get there. So you so, all go to a RAG. So you finish the RAG, you're competing against your bros, and then you get uh, you get gunships.
1: Yeah. Uh, right. Well, that, they're out of Pensacola. you yeah. out of Pensacola, you yeah. get yeah. gunships. And then yeah. from Pensacola, what's next? You go to, uh, at that time it was HML uh, 267, the Stingers in uh, California, Camp Pendleton, California. We, right. had, we had OV-10s and uh, Huey gunships. San Diego. Yeah. Not a bad spot. No, and it was a great place. Lived on the beach. Phenomenal. That was the only place that would take dogs and babies. We had a three month old son. We had a lot of places that would take a baby but not a dog, or a dog and not a baby, and we had to decide which one we wanted to keep. Yeah, which some. one you guys want yeah. to keep. Yeah, yeah that was a hard decision. Tough for call. Us. What yeah, kind it of dog was did a you tough have? Tough call. It wasn't a real dog. It was a <laughs> dachshund. <laughs> you know? He keep, thought he was a was. Should we the keep killer. the kid I yeah, I don't or know. the dog? Yeah, yeah. So we decided to keep them both, and we lucked out and
0: got a place on the beach. That's awesome. Took everything we had, though, you know? So, Pendleton 267. Was a hoot. Yeah. Uh, so, you check in as a new guy. Yeah. Yeah. How was your squadron? How, how was that?
1: Oh, that was great. Yeah, it was great. It had, uh,
0: being a rag,
1: it had probably, I would say, about at any given time, probably 45 guys going through training. And half of those guys were uh, Vietnam veterans already. A lot of them had been either... So the students
0: and instructors?
1: Well, all the instructors were Vietnam veterans. Okay, so you got all the students. Half of them were Vietnam veterans. Were they doing a retreat, coming back from something else? Most of them were, uh, most of them, if I can remember right, were uh, fixed-wing pilots of one type or another previously, and now they were coming back through the helicopter OV-10 pipeline. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How were those guys?
1: Great. Great, kind of take you under the wing. And uh, if you befriended one, you really had a good, they had a great personality. It was a good guy to hook up with. That's and awesome. they, most of those guys were either very, very senior captains or majors. And you got to remember, in those days, people were making major in eight years. And so uh, they were good guys to know. Okay. So did you guys That's, have some fun while you were Yeah, we, in San we had Diego? a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, one night before we were deploying for our final uh, big push, they were going to for guns in uh yuma yeah uh, we had a purple alert started off at the hospital club what's a purple alert that's uh, where the co declares everybody will show up at the club and if they're not so it's there, a mando it's fun a, yeah it's show a big, up and yeah you don't want to be fined, so it's a purple alert use a code word so that nobody knows you're actually doing that so they call right it purple you
0: can't alert. say hey everyone show up at the club and let's drink beer sh- it's yeah, got to be codenamed sh-
1: yeah okay so <laughs> bottom line purple alert And then that didn't end too well, though, because I can remember kind of, I don't know if I was participating, I I was pretty close to it, though, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I remember very uh, clearly the uh, shore patrol coming into the hospital club with their uh, batons drawn and asking us to take the nurse's head out of the urinal. And uh, we accommodated and had to explain to them why her head was in the urinal, that she had said some Bad things about the Marine Corps. Uh, they quasi I thought they understood and asked us to quickly leave the club. And it, so, but
0: you weren't there. You just heard of
1: this. I right? Yeah, I'm, I have visions of it sometimes, and so I'm
0: It's a little blurry. It's blurry. So,
1: <laughs> so we quickly egressed. All like forty five guys go to the next club, which Egress. was with the big big club there on the hill eleven. And at the end of the night, we had been kicked out of every club. At Camp Pendleton, which was a total of five. Congratulations. Oh, well, excuse me, that's a lie because we'd kicked out of four clubs because the fifth one they allowed us to stay till they, till Frenchie, the bartender, shut it down
0: at two o'clock. Four out of five in one night. Yes. So you got started pretty early then.
1: Yeah, I think it was about uh, fourteen hundred. Purple alert. Fourteen hundred. Yeah, yeah. Because right. we were leaving
0: the next day to go to Yuma. Okay, so you might as well go hard your yeah, last night. All yeah, right. Yeah. So then, how's is the fifth club still serving you guys?
1: Oh yeah, it served us uh, well for for a long time, and I I remember uh, Dick Dick Blank, who's now gone, but what a, he was a great CEO. He was uh, he was a type of charisma. He uh, you could trust him. He was one of these guys that taught me how to manage by moving around. Something that I took me I took all the way to the civilian world. You know, he would be in maintenance in the evenings talking to the troops. You know, they knew he cared. You don't get in the way, but you show that. You want to know what they're doing he was involved but uh, i'd have followed him anywhere and later on i ended up working for him again in vietnam but uh blank had a really hot girlfriend who was a school teacher and uh, guys would come by with a pitcher of beer and pull out her uh very she had this real elastic top and they'd pull the front of her top out and then pour a beer down the front he would sit there and say aren't these guys great he was a great guy <laughs> And she, and she was she was all for she it. was laughing and said they are and he says I'd take them to that's combat a winner right me. there that's a that's a winner that's a winner she's a, a good sport she was
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so then yeah. you guys head to Yuma so this is go your pre
1: deployment go to Yuma and uh, you know pretty much I got to shoot a lot uh, but the one one experience that I took uh, with me was uh, I was flying with a guy named John Henry Key who is probably one of the best OV ten drivers in the Marine Corps and John Henry. Took me in the back seat because I volunteered. I wanted to get as much time in anything as I could, plus figure out what they did when they were flying. And he was taking two of the uh other pilots and the rag up with him and two other birds. And went out to the one of the ranges there in uh near Yuma. And uh, he circles the range and looks down, and he says, God, we got a new target down. It's us. a live range, right? It's live um, range. You guys oh, are yeah, hitting the shooting 2.75s. yeah.
0: Rockets, okay. Yeah.
1: And uh so we've got a good news, we've got a new target down here. You know, and there's a lot of old half tracks that were all just pieces, a little bit left because of how many times they'd been hit over the years. So you got a new target, you're pretty excited. So he made a low pass, looked at it, said, boy, well, this is this is great. So he was going to make the first run. He had HE. Had HE. Uh, no, he didn't have HE, he had Willie Pete. Okay. And uh, his first shot landed just short of the truck. And the second shot, just went right over the top of the canvas canopy on the truck. And then he's pulling off hard right, and he looks over his shoulder. I'm looking over my shoulder. I told him, I said, the truck is moving. The truck is moving. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, and we see a white handkerchief come out the window. And this guy had bottom line is this uh, Navy supply guy had – supposed to be taking supplies out to a seal base that's out there a seal base a seal base that's out there it's, it's really a cool base sure and uh he uh had gotten lost and finally decided to take a nap right in the middle of a live range so that's some bad luck yeah so we woke him up yeah you woke S- him up. he woke very him up. courteous of yeah, you guys yeah yeah so to w- wake we bring up. in a helicopter that was out in the gut ranges on another range and he came in and landed by him gave him some toilet paper and uh <laughs> let him out of there dude he was so, so lucky the guy that never misses he missed. never misses oh, and everybody was just going and said we've never seen john henry miss and uh he missed the truck that time
0: that's some luck that is some. Luck. so he picked dude that's just some getting that was lost crazy. and was taking crazy. a nap on a live yeah. impact range yeah
1: yeah that yeah. was just great Wrong so turn so then uh then uh i packed my bags take my family uh back to a wright patterson air force base where my dad was now uh uh, full colonel and he was a head of he was a CO of a directorate there at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. And that's where my wife stayed for the time that I was in Vietnam, which was a good time. But good for her. She had the support of the folks and like I said at that time I had it four month old by this time. Sure. Four month old and a dog. And a dog still, yeah. Good. Yeah.
0: So then it's uh then it's off to Vietnam. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So where do you guys leave from for Vietnam?
1: That time we left from uh Norton. A lot of guys left from uh up in San Francisco, Travis. Sure. But we left from Norton. I met a good buddy of mine. Uh, we met in Dallas because Gary was uh, from Texas as well. That We hit it off, and the training command went all the way through together. And we uh, got on the 707. And this is the Freedom Bird. The freedom Birds, except this time it's taking us the other way, so yeah. I don't know what you call it. We uh, got on board, and I remember getting on board, not expecting anything because there's no frills. There was nothing. They packed us in like sardines. I uh, wasn't like half the flights I was on after the war because they were nothing more than real airliners, and some people got first-class seating or whatever the case was, but I had packed some sustenance, and uh, I'm carrying this hanger bag that I had, and somebody behind me said, Lieutenant, I think your hanger bag's leaking.
0: Oh, you had to hydrate yeah. on the flight. Yeah, I was going to hydrate fa-
1: So I so get in the back, and uh, I had five pair of skivvies, four to five pair of skivvies, and uh, they were sopping wet, so... Stu on board took my skivvies and hung them up with a rope that she had or a little string she had, and it looked like a Chinese laundry in the back of the airplane. What she took cow. very good care of me. That's yeah. some above-average customer yeah, service. Really good customer service. Did, was there
0: any salvageable uh, material? No, not me?
1: a nap, but she had some. Ah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, got yeah. It. So okay. we made it. We 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 did fine. And it's it it could, it also mixed with some English leather, I think. So it, it wouldn't have tasted good. <laughs> yeah. So get there. You land in Okinawa, and you can cut the air with a knife. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, your visions of just landing and checking in and moving on. And uh, got to Okinawa, and you report to personnel, and they, well, there were five of us from the RAG. Two of us wanted to get in country, bad, and the other three, one really didn't care, and two didn't want to go. matter of fact, two of them brought golf clubs with them nice. because they wanted to stay in Okinawa. Well, it happened that this gunnery sergeant, for whatever the reason, was just making the decisions. By no flipping coins, whatever they did. But once he made that decision, it was it. And my name was called to stay in Okinawa. Uh, the guy that wanted to play golf and stay in Okinawa we went to Vietnam. A uh, footnote on that was he was dead in another month, which is sad, sad, sad. His name was Hank Shelton, and he was a great guy. His wife never liked me. She blamed me. She said I was the one that kept them from staying. I was farthest from the truth. I loved Hank, and I wanted to trade. I, I matter of fact, we went up to the gunnery and said, he does not want to go. I want to go trade us out, and the gunny wouldn't do it. So uh, I go over to the air group, and uh, the next day, the first day I'm there, I request mast, and I go in. The group commander was a good guy, and uh, he took my uh, request, and I said, I want to go to in country, and he said, You're going to stay here for a minimum of six months. I said, I can't do that. And he said, yeah, you will. So the next week I requested mass. He took me again and told me to leave. And then I requested mass one more time. And uh, he said, next time you request mass, you will be assigned TAD to the air station. And you won't be leaving here probably in a year.
0: So you're a first lieutenant? First lieutenant. Requesting mass three times in a row. Yeah. Okay. One week
1: after another, trying to get in country. Aggressive. (laughs) So Dick Blank, my CO from the RAG, comes through, lands in a shock to see me. He said, Beaver, what are you doing here? I says, boss, they they held me up. I don't know. He was going in to get a gun squatter. Uh, he says, you wait here a week, and you'll have orders. And I was thinking, no, nah, he's just trying to yeah. make me feel better. Yeah. Sure enough, I got back from a night flight uh, a week later, and the ODO said, uh, you've got
0: orders for Vietnam." Nice. Yeah. So you're getting in the game. I'm getting in the game. And then is it a delay period, or they just launch No, no.
1: Pretty much uh, I was gone within three days.
0: All right. So uh, you're in Vietnam. Where do you head to?
1: Well, you land. You land again at 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what all this secret stuff is. and we land middle of the night. One of the greatest things, one of the strangest things you ever saw was, uh, you know, everybody's kind of apprehensive. A lot of young grunts. You know, it's not pilots and everything. It's just a button can of everybody. You look off to the left of the airplane, they're bringing the baggage carts up to fill it up as a, your baggage is going out the right side. But these baggage carts, there must have been 20 caskets. I'm saying, what a welcome. You know, it yeah, seems little, like somebody would have had a little bit of cooth.
0: And, and we got to, to we gotta talk to the S-4 yeah, a little bit. Yeah, talk
1: about how would you load the caskets because welcome aboard, you know. So. But,
0: I mean, it's pretty sobering. huh? Right? See, it is. It's a, very sobering. Some reality there. Very sobering. And then you guys, where did you land at? What base?
1: We landed at Da Nang.
0: All right. So you're in Da Nang. Yeah. It's late 68, early 69? Yeah, it's 69. 69. Yeah, yeah. And it's game time. No,
1: it's it's uh, uh, yeah, 69, Christmas 69. Christmas
0: 69. All right. Yeah. All right. So you land, you know, caskets. They process you again,
1: but now I'm there saying you're going over to the mag. The mag uh, apparently has this whole list of officers, and they call down to the squadron that they're going to send you to, and... My buddy from Texas says, I know that. Guy. He's a friend of mine. Can I go get him? And uh, Gary came and got me and brought me back to the uh, squadron. Well, I checked in at the mag. He dropped me off there for a minute, and I said, you're going over here. And so I went to the squadron and checked in, and then you begin the process of, uh, of
0: orientation. Yeah. Orientation. So yeah. It's offline. Obviously, there's a there's a syllabus. that get you spooled up. You get your qualifications.
1: Yeah. yeah, there's things that they have that they want to see that you can accomplish uh, at the end, end of the day, what you're trying to be is an aircraft commander, period. And then from there goes section lead, division lead, you know, all the other steps going up. Uh, the lucky thing, I had gotten almost all the way through the test pilot program, so I was already almost a test pilot in the bird. So, yeah, so we check in, I start that process, and uh, sign up for everything. And uh, I fly my first hop So So, backing
0: up real quick, sign up for everything so you can fly in missions. Can you ride in missions? Yeah, yeah. But you're not you're not aircraft commander yet. So you're just left seat.
1: You don't have. You got to understand these airplanes are. It isn't like the Wright brothers airplane, but it's close to it. (laughs) We don't have anything. I mean, you have barely altimeters that work. Uh, You have a rad out. That's pretty about as sophisticated as you get. You have a rad out. You have uh, two fox mics. You have a UHF. Uh, VHF and a high freak radio. So you got five radios, uh, depending on the, the configuration of the ship, what you have guns-wise and ammo-wise and everything. We'll get to that. But uh, that's it. No sophistication. So you do a lot of anything you do around their navigation is by
0: the eyeball. So and are you? Maps. Is there are there routes, like a course rules to and from no. certain areas? Well, there
1: are course rules in and around uh, Marble Mountain is where we were. Vermont, was Which your, was about the name twenty for your base? Yes. All right. And it was literally the runway ran parallel to China Beach and was parallel uh, to Da Nang's runway, except Da Nang was offset and would begin where we left off. And we were about twenty-five to 3,000 foot long, and they were about 12,000 foot long. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, I, then I start flying. I raise my hand all the time. I would jump on anything.
0: Uh, what kind of missions did you get a chance to ride on?
1: Well, you gun I, I was I didn't want to do any logistics missions or anything we had a few of those but I want to do all gunships and I was signing up for all of them but uh I'd talked to uh another friend I had there who was an ops and he was writing the schedule so he was squeezing me in where he could and uh so my first day out we're uh my very first mission I remember day two day three um uh, we're escorting uh four of us our gunships are escorting uh 253s who are carrying uh, 105s externally to Hill 41 and 46 uh, was were carrying the ammo okay and some Gunners so they're carrying the gun they're carrying the gun yeah. and uh, now we've made a couple of runs everything seemed to be normal and one of the 53s coming in either th- thinks they've taken fire and lost an engine or loses an engine and pickles The 105 down the hill. Then they come in and literally hard land into the zone, which wasn't very big. So now we got to clear them out of there. We got to get the rest of the stuff in there because they're setting up and have to be ready to fire the fire some fire missions before nightfall. So they're hustling. So now they're doing a daisy chain back and forth to get trying to get another gun. In the meantime, we hear that the bad guys are coming across a little lake that was just down. To the south and uh, west of us and that there were bad guys in the open and so we peel off when I say we our lead my my section leader says let's go and we go down there and literally these guys in black pajamas paddling across a, a lake open water and it was a it was a duck shoot I mean it was I mean we had them all out in the middle of nowhere just Rolling in on them, you know, so bad
0: guys. Yeah, in the in paddle boats, paddle boats, paddle guys roll in. They were they were moving over to get the gun. Okay, you know, or see what they could get from. So you thing. and the other gunship, the two yeah, gunships, two rolling gunships. On these Guys,
1: oh, I, I was just pretty much clearing, doing anything. I, I think he allowed me to pull the trigger one time. At that time, that bird was configured with four sixty Ford mounted, two nineteen shot rocket pods, a fifty in one door and a sixty in the other door.
0: That's some decent firepower. Yeah, and really. was it were the the four fifties, the forward firing fifties? Did you guys no? Have, no, we had forward forward fires firing m sixties. Uh, so it's yeah. seven six two. Yeah, right. 7, 6, so 2. so forward firing seven six two. What range are you guys at before you start coming? Well, if you
1: wanted them? to press, I mean, depends on what the threat was. You know, if the threat wasn't much, you'd press within eight hundred feet. Sure.
0: Yeah. Jeez. So that you were because so you know guys that are thing isn't the most the, accurate. You're not right. You're not. Yeah, you're pointing.
1: Yeah, your point. You're using a reticle, or putting a. Really, you used a grease pencil on the on the screen, windscreen. Yep. And just I, drew a plus sign, yeah, and, you and you just drop your nose right there, and you hope that that's where that. Yeah, and you watch the tracers, obviously. Sure. And you got
0: it in. It walk it. them in. Yeah, walk them in. So these guys come across on the boats. Bad day. Yeah, for got them. them, and then
1: um, then we hear all of a sudden we get a call. We go get gas after that. Uh, and we're there getting gas. We hear that uh, LZ Lemon, which was the big uh, Korean pause. The Koreans had quite a footprint there in our in our area of operation, and uh, South Koreans historically they would get in this trouble all the time. And they were in a minefield, and literally, just we, their people just kept walking across exploding mines. You know, wouldn't stop walking. You know, and had us come in to help medevac them out uh but provide the gunships for that because it, they were getting pot shot the bad guys were shooting at them while they were skipping across landmines so we make one hot approach to a zone that's got body bags all over it and uh this is not humorous but it's a truth you know it's using slang it's stuff that happens in in uh, contact and everything we make the landing and i'm flying it and uh Critchie says, you're on a slope. You're on a slope because we practice slope landings. Because if you're higher, if one skid's a lot higher than the other, you've got to make sure that you keep the cyclic of the control stick into the, to the hill so that you don't flip over when you add power. And I said, I know. I know I'm on a slope. He said, no, you're on a slope. I said, I know it. He goes, no, you're on a dink. I said, a what? A dink? He said, you're on a Korean. I said, oh, shit. So we lift off. It was a body bag. It was a body bag. He was already dead. But uh, going, God! Oh, man. But I mean, his stuff was flying everywhere. Yeah. So I get home after that day, and I look. We we logged uh, that day very full. Uh, matter of fact, we come back after that, getting all the bodies out and everything. Come back and finish off the uh, the resupply of Hill Forty One. And I shared an interesting story with you not long ago, was 41 was unique in that they had a uh, they didn't use a uh, wind up siren or an electrical siren or anything. They had a pig, a pet pig, that uh, when they were going to take incoming, they would take that pig and hold it up and twist its ears, and it'd squeal so loud you would you'd know something bad. That's to that. Uh, announce that announce hey, it, we're incoming. taking rounds. Yeah, incoming. yeah. And I'm going well. I think you'd know it anyway. But that pig was part close to them and their their buddy. These are Marines. Yeah, Marines. Marines
0: very ingenuity. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah, and the I'm pig. Sure a lived. couple of them had gone to MIT. The pig, oh, for sure, at yeah. least a couple yeah. Of dozen. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised. And the pig did live. Yeah, is that yeah. confirmed? Yeah, he
1: moved to the next hill. Oh wow! Well, yeah, lucky pig. Yeah, Man. Yeah, that was just amazing. So at the end of that day, I think we'd logged eight point five hours. Of, and your, this is your like first, official, first mission. official mission? first official mission. I'm going. You got to be kidding me. But it was also exhilarating. It was a good times. We had uh, a myriad of different kind of missions, Uh, flew a lot of medevac, which was, when I say we, I didn't, we we split it because you got medevac duty probably once every three weeks and you would be a gunship and there'd be two gunships for two 46s. You'd be laying there all night. You wouldn't get any sleep. So you're on call. This is on, on call medevac. On call medevac. Some medevacs would be, what would really, never would you be upset saving somebody's life, but. Sometimes you would be, you know, the radio frequency would go out, it would start crackling, you'd get up, you'd pause a minute, see if somebody would come out across and say something on the radios, and they'd say, medevac, medevac, so-and-so. And so so the co-pilots were always responsible for going out and cranking the bird while the pilots would take the brief. And a lot of times, more than once, the weather was below minimums a lot of times. And you'd get out there and pick somebody up, and they had a hangnail or a... Oh jeez, had sprung their ankle or something. You really wanted somebody to be really needing you to go in that kind of weather. If it was cabo and everything, get you out of the tent, you could go fly a little bit, you didn't mind. But but this is day. And hard night. Enough. Yeah, day just and rotation. night. rotation. So yeah. the
0: night Medevac, you guys are hanging out, yeah, you get a call on the radio, hey, launch the Medevac. So 246 two forty six is two gunships. Two gunships, yeah. For escort. Yeah. And what is the what are you navigating with? Your eyeballs. Okay, At and night, the compass. and you're, you Are know. you
1: flying midnight, like lights yeah, out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you, a lot of times we had lights on. We, we had lights on. Now, the next mission was called the Black Hammer, which I think, and what was unique in my logbooks books is uh, the first, all your night missions, combat missions, were in red ink. I don't know if it was a squadron particular thing uh, or what, but they're in red ink, and I think... Before I I looked at that one time and I had 200 and something hours before I ever had day missions, I got a lot up front. I I didn't mind that. But the the Black Hammer mission was a low bird that had a tank halogen light, the big tank lights that are on like an M60 tank. Mm You were tank fat, you know? Yeah, yeah, they're modern now.
0: I don't know what they use. The Abrams has some pretty sweet gear on it. Yeah, yeah. But they had.
1: Big light, and then you had what you called a, uh, didn't have anything like night vision goggles, but they had stuff that was around during the Korean War called a uh, starlight scope.
0: So the you said low bird. So who's low all bird. launching on this?
1: Uh, you would have one low bird, which would always be a Huey, and it would have a, a 60 on the side with a halogen light and a 50 on the other side. And he would be at 400 feet, 400 or 300, so they could see better. They would be totally lights out, and then at a thousand to twelve hundred feet, you would have two gunships right above them, above, following them around as best they could, uh, seeing down there what was happening. I mean, they're and, not stationary, so these no, two, the they're two, flying. the two gunships keep moving, You're just flying. Keep, yeah, okay, good yeah they're go. flying a pattern and whatever they designate, whatever makes them comfortable, whatever the terrain would allow. Yeah, know? and you
0: said this starlight.
1: Yeah, the starlight scope, the starlight.
0: That is. What is that and who's using that? Uh the guy that's on the halogen light is looking. So is that his old school version of NVGs?
1: Oh yeah, but that was just taking what little ambient light you could get from the from the stars, literally in green. You know, the sniper rifles have some their scopes had a variation of that capability. Would see something and it'd say put a light on that. I have movement down there just to the right of those hooches. Put a light on it. And you put a light on it. Sometimes it would just be some mamasans carrying rice. Sometimes it would be bad guys. And uh, it was bad guys. You could definitely ascertain it was bad. Sometimes it would be stupid and just raise up and start shooting at you. Now we, My gunnery sergeant one time on that mission took rounds through his knee, and we had to medevac him back. We had to get back out of there because he, he got shot up pretty good rounds coming up to the bottom of the bird. Got it. But uh, you'd put a light there, and you'd tell the gunbird's, see that light
0: put rockets on it so that's the plan yeah that's so the, the plan, plan is if it worked we got a guy two guys down to 400 feet with an old school busted up world war ii starlight yeah another guy with a spotlight no yeah and yeah. two gunships arcing around yeah. and the plan is Where when you we see, see the, the bad light guys when you see the light just it. start shooting the yeah. rockets and yeah. guns yeah. at the oh, light. if we
1: clear you if we clear you I mean it would be funny. We literally one humor story was we literally hit these two guys going across a rice paddy and they were I mean it was almost you could see their eyes cuz when you put the light on them you could see them real good. It was like you like you're on Broadway and the darn light was the show's on and it was they actually turned took the AK47s off their shoulders and acted like they were digging and they were digging a hole with a making us think that they were shoveling and we just said see that light and, of course, you would be waiting for the BDA the next day.
0: So you had to, the spotlighting aircraft had to. He was cle- the low bird. He was the, the low bird, would he have to give clearance? Yeah,
1: yeah, he'd say, because you would recognize, you'd be able to ascertain whether it was good or bad. Okay. A lot of times, like I said, they'd give you the courtesy of shooting at you.
0: And that made it easy. Yeah, it
1: made it easy. You know, a lot of times you were, uh, uh, a lot of our night missions, So oh, you got a lot of ZSU-23-4 coming at you, which was a light, like, softballs, every one of them was coming in the cockpit. It was just amazing. It looked like a fire hose coming at you.
0: So let's see. This one is a uh, ZSU. It was 23-millimeter cannons, four of them, something like two or 3,000 rounds a minute. Yeah, that's no good.
1: A lot of rounds.
0: And they're shooting softballs at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not cool. Uh, no.
1: And every one of them you just saw coming. You tell the pilot, the co-pilot, depending on what seat, that one's got our name on it. And all of a sudden, it would just disappear. Because, you know, there's five there's uh five rounds for every tracer you saw and all you saw was tracers so i mean it was amazing you're just waiting yeah, you're, you're just watching waiting. the light show you're just you're seeing just which watching. one's got your yeah. name on
0: it and i think those shot a few thousand rounds a minute
1: yeah oh yeah oh yeah Dude. so we shot uh then we had what we call the uh mission 71 package which was a package again of frogs uh ch46s but this time you added a uh grunt element they had a uh a platoon, a reaction platoon that would go help uh, extract uh, recon units that were in harm's way. And uh, we would provide the gunship uh, element for that. And it was called Mission 71. You'd be out at one of the remote fields and uh, be there just waiting for the call. I remember one time, fairly humorous again, not, well, it would not at the time, but it later on became talking point in the squadron. I was off relieving myself. And all of a sudden, we start taking fairly heavy sniper fire with some of the rounds hitting the birds. And the siren goes off, and they say, launch the 71 package. Launch the 71 package. So I quickly zip up my flight suit, and I catch the head of my uh in the flight suit. <laughs> oh, that hurts. And now I'm bent over. I look like the hunchback in Notre Dame running back to the airplane. And I get in, and my co-pilot who's starting the airplane said, are you shot? Are you hurt? I said, no, I got my dick caught in my uh, zipper. I shouldn't say that, should I? Uh, you're okay. I got my schwanz. You're good. I got my schwanz in my zipper. So uh, he he's having a hard time not laughing. And so we take off. I fly the whole hop just kind of leaning forward in action, you know, just kind of leaning forward strapped in. Um, and we go out, and uh, sure enough, a recon unit had gotten in contact and getting shot up quite a bit. We came in. We actually got gunship, uh, fixed-wing support uh during nice, that evolution nice. we had the ov10 facts above and they were controlling some f4s they got some f4s with some napalm but they were just shooting uh they actually dropped some uh marks uh 81s i think but anyway they uh came in and uh as soon as they came in on one of the runs i remember the f4 this is one of the quotes that i have always kept near and dear to my heart f4s came in and he's zsu twenty three fours opened up on them almost straight ahead because they were in the side of the mountain. And so they were almost at their flight level shooting straight at the F-4s. And I heard the F-4 driver said, fire, fire, says, let's do a 360 and get out of here. And we all, of course, simultaneously came up and said, 360? (laughs) Says, so why don't you try a one eighty? It'd be a lot better. Yeah, let's either. do a three sixty. Get out of here. Let's do some good math here. Hey, thanks, pilot. Yeah, were you guys and talking, so talking a, nine, a little smack about the, so you the jet guys, guys? You guys. You guys, you guys were an honor graduates but uh, yeah. Um,
0: let's do a three sixty. Let's get do a three
1: sixty and get out of here. So yeah, <laughs> how about a one eighty? That buddy? lasted with me. <laughs> they took a lot of heat for that. <laughs> we finally got those guys out. Loaded the recon guys up. Nobody was killed. But what was funny was as the 46 was lifting out of the uh, rice paddy, it came back down again. So we're saying, oh, shit, 46 had been hit. Now, as soon as it landed, this recon guy goes off the back end of the 46, goes running over to the water boo, which is the water buffalo that the ancient and honorable village used to to, to uh, literally plow their crops. And uh, he threw this thing that looked like a belt around the uh, water boo. Got back in the forty six, and as soon as the forty six got airborne, about ten feet, all of a sudden the water boo was gone. They had put a whole thing of plastic explosives around that thing, you know,
0: and it was uh, gone. Water so buffalo disappeared.
1: Yeah, it, it taught the village don't don't tell on us. Anymore, so the village because it was the village that turned them in. The village ratted on them. Yeah, the village ratted on them when okay. they had come to the village. Ah, yeah, did they?
0: Who did they? The local VC guys. They gave them tipper that hey, the marines are here. Yeah, yeah. So they blew up their water buffalo.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they said don't do that again. We'll come back and blow up another one. Once you get one. Got it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that was good. So hearts and minds, hearts and minds, just hearts and minds. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great thing, but yeah, (laughs) it was, it was an amazing opportunity.
0: All right. So after the water Buffalo incident, uh, I mean, these missions are pretty long, right? How long are these average mission?
1: Yeah, we would, uh, get in a day anywhere, probably about average six and a half hours a day, but, uh, we would get, about 1.8, two hours, uh, depends on how much power you were pulling and how much ordnance you were uh, had on board, how heavy the bird was. Yeah.
0: are you, You're not coming back to Da Nang? Are you, are our, you stopping at another- Marvel Mountain?
1: No, we had. Because uh, you got to guess. You remember I mentioned Lemon Paws? We had remote fields everywhere. Uh, especially, uh, we went, we stretched out across some places that nobody ever thought we were. We were in a couple of places up near. Uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail that were not exactly in Vietnam.
0: Sure. Other countries?
1: Other countries. Was one started with a C and one with an L. Uh, got and, it. Uh, we I remember one strip, in specifically in particular, that we had uh, rockets and JP-5 up there on top of the mountain. and It was a typical, if you can imagine, I th- if you've ever seen that movie, Air America, where they'd fly that C-23 in there with the jet engines and uh, it would land in Marston Madding. That was it. The airstrip was about uh, 2,800 feet long and about maybe 75 feet wide, and there'd be a Quonset hut on one side, and it had a pins for all the goats and the passengers, the mountain yards that'd be flying all over uh, that now, part of that Asia. That was the terminal. Yeah, that was the terminal, and that's where the uh, other traffic went. And We had a sandbag kind of like area where our, our Marines lived. We had a dead of about seven or eight guys, a radio operator and some, some uh ordnance guys and some uh i guess just supply guys that would help pass the gas so this would land there remote strip, a remote strip in, strip in a country that's remote. not vietnam yes that's correct
0: and they have would land there you'd stop and get gas would yeah, stop
1: and get gas and all, typically the pilots would get out and start ramming uh 2.75 rockets into the pods and the crew chiefs would get out and start putting more uh belts of uh ammo in the guns and the other guys would be filling the 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 bird up with jp-5 and you'd be using the old typical crank out of a 50 gallon drum and i remember specifically one day these two t-28 black t-28s came in and pulled off to the side and literally you could almost reach out and see them they were waving at us we were waving at them and the pilot got out of the t-28 and he's wearing cut off blue jeans and had his terry and the pilot baseball cap on and his sunglasses and he's wearing sneakers with no socks and his t-shirt said kill a commie for christ okay and i said now that's a dude that's, uh, I, that's, wonder, uh, that I wonder was who uh, these guys are flying he was for. at air america and i had i had uh, probably five of my friends at that point in time had and they were older friends they were guys that were in the rag and had been approached by air america got out of the marine corps and went over to air america but they kept their lineal numbers and kept their not their rank but but they're linear so numbers they're so they could come the back. Service. Yes. Got it. But they were getting paid handsomely more. Yeah, making a little bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. about a little more relaxed four times uniform standards than the yeah, Marine Corps. Yeah, and didn't have quite the regiment, Christ. but killing commies for Christ. <laughs> so that was one of the coolest things in the world. They, he gassed up you know, on the wing of his bird, and they were loading, the Montagnards were loading his uh, rockets up. They both took the active and took off into the, to the sky again. That was one of the yeah. coolest and things were, I want to take back. They were
0: painted me. all jet black. Yeah, oh, Oh, that's cool. Oh, they were cool. They were cool. All right, and
1: uh, yeah, and then we uh, we did a a little bit of humanitarian work. We uh, I remember one time uh, meeting uh, these missionaries, and uh, they had a nursery up near the High Van Pass, and uh, they needed um, they had actually not a neonatal care, but they actually had a a birthing facility uh, there in this orphanage uh, and a little clinic. And they needed air conditioners in the worst way. And we didn't have any. Hell, I didn't have any in my my Uh, church. But uh, they uh, needed some. So we said we would try to get them some. So we went over to this big, huge complex over by the end of the runway at uh, Da Nang. And it was run by the Air Force. And it was probably 150 yards wide and about 400 yards long and about had 30-foot clear ceilings. So it had stacks and stacks and stacks of of uh, shelves, and they were full of air conditioners. I mean, full. And Just we, chilling. Yeah, we asked this first sergeant, Air Force Master Sergeant, said, "What do you use these for?" He says, "Well, you we never know when you're going to need them." And we're sitting there sweating like whores in church, you know, and going, <laughs> oh, you know, what the, you know, saying, "Would well, be nice to have one of those," you know. But <laughs> yeah, man, I said, I'll take a couple AC. We, units. we we told him, you know, this is what we're trying to do. He says, "Well, what do you have to trade?" He said, How about two two cases of lobster? He said, Great. And it's amazing the, the value, you know, value added. If he couldn't get the lobster, it was still value to him. You know, we had lobster a lot, you know, so we gave them lobsters for two air conditioners and took them up to the high van pass and gave it to the missionaries and they thought we were somebody for, you know, taking care of them. Heck yeah. So yeah, you, Our, yeah, our traded
0: lobsters for air conditioner yeah, units. Lobster for air for conditioners. missionaries. Unit.
1: Yeah. And our typical the way we lived is when I first checked in I told you this Gary Prentice got me. We lived in this sea hooch it was plywood up to uh, halfway up and then screen and then tin roof. And I said, what do we do if we get rocketed? He says, well, we get rocketed probably three times, four times a month. And he says, the first night I went down below, he says, but there were rats there bigger than collies. So I said, well, I'm not going down there. And uh, he said, well, then the other thing I did, he said, then I uh, just simply – would just take the mattress and roll over and put the mattress over me. He said that was the next night. He said after that I just put the pillow over my head. So I stuck with just putting the pillow over our heads because we figured if your number was on the rocket, yeah, if you're, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's the rockets coming you. in, yeah,
0: your, your pillowcase and yeah, your pillow was going to do much.
1: We had, I know we had a neighbor. <clears throat> we called him Fire Support Base Buck because he not only carried uh, his uh, thirty eight, but he carried a uh, two. He carried a uh, M16 and a in a shotgun and then a grenade launcher with him everywhere he went. So he was his own fire support base. So we called him fire support base. But you were never allowed to get currency more than uh, uh, you could never take NPC out of the country, and you could never have more than $20 of American on you at any one time. They controlled that for counterfeit purposes uh, over there. And uh, But if you were getting ready to go on R&R, you could draw as much as $5,000 if you had it. And he drew 5,000 and had it in his hooch and was down at the officer's club partying and everybody was gonna send him off. He was gonna meet his wife in uh, Hawaii. And we took a rocket attack and it hit his hooch, which was right next to ours. And his hooch was on fire and we couldn't get in to get his money that was in his wall locker because there were so many rounds cooking off, we thought we were being shot at by the bad guys. Because he was his own fire oh, support base. Oh, he was own fire support base. <laughs> so he had so much ammo in there. <laughs> we didn't know even we thought it'd be dangerous to sleep in our hoots the next night because as the rounds would cook off some of them literally went through our tin roof anyway Holy shit. oh yeah yeah so that was that was fire support based buck but that that was just another interesting anecdotal story one other time we flew uh bob andre kondo took us over to uh thailand to you do to air force base they flew f4s out there and i'd given my a week R and R to another guy who had gotten engaged to this Australian gal. I'd given mine up because Kay and I had already met, and I wanted to get as much flying in as I could. And so Hondo said, "Bubba, you'll go with me for th- three days, and we'll go to Thailand." And he had a C-117. We went over there, had a great time. Coming back, this Air Force officer approached me going into flight ops, and he says, "Could I get a ride back to Da Nang?" He was in his flight suit, his captain. I said, sure. I said, what do you want to go back to Denang? He said, well, my unit's are. I said, okay. He didn't say much. He just got on the bird and sat there in the jump seat with all of us. We go through now customs there at Da Nang, and uh, they ask him if he have anything to declare, and he says, I've got this $20 in NPC. And he said, you know full well that you're not allowed to leave country with NPC in your pocket. He said, if I knew when I left here two days ago, that I was going to get shot down over Laos, <laughs> I wouldn't have had the NPC in my pocket. And the guy shut up. And he never told bothered to tell us, but that was kind of cool. No I mean, he was just shit. real cool. He'd been an Air Force guy that had been shot down in Laos, been saved by the Jolly Greens out of uh, Udorn. Right. And then he was waiting at base ops to go back they to He got him back unit. across. And he was coming back to Danane to join his guys.
0: And he's just like, hey, can I get a ride? Yeah, he said, I can got I get shot a ride? Down. I got, I got, he didn't
1: say I got shot down. He just said, can I get a ride? So he was you know, like us. And so he said, sure, come He's on. Cool. Yeah, come on, man. He was a cool dude. Yeah. But he said, if I would have known, he was giving his staff sergeant <laughs> shit. And so the guy quickly, you know, like
0: this. Yeah, he shut up.
1: So, you know, I was, because I was kind of a, I'd been selected for captain. And they, they had selected me to lead a debt back to the 1st Marine Brigade in uh, Hawaii to leave country. So I didn't get to get on the typical uh, Freedom Bird. But. We're in the preparation of that the last month and a half that we're there. And this Army dude, the Army did it separate, different than ours. They would give a guy a mission. He would fly a uh, slick mission for six months. Then he'd either fly uh, medevac for another six months or fly gunships for six months. So uh, the three primary missions the Army had, and they would fly two of the three and they'd do it for six months. They wouldn't bounce around. They would just, that was uh, committed to that and he was getting ready to fly gunships, and he had two weeks vacation that he wasn't taking. So he came to us, to our ops officers specifically, and said, could I fly with you all to get used to uh, the gun mission and the 540 rotor system, which they had, the Air Army was getting. So Hondo said, uh, yeah, and uh, assigned him basically to me and two of my other deviate friends. And we took care of them every night, and took, they paired him up with us as our co-pilot for the next couple of weeks. Each night we would have a little bit of hair of the dog and uh, party and talk. And his whole dream would be he wanted a Navy leather flight jacket and some sunglasses, some sunglasses, which we thought, you got to be kidding me. I had like 20 pair in my footlocker. Yeah. You know? So he said, okay, we'll trade. What, what do you want to trade for? He said, without batting an says, how about a helicopter?
0: So hang on, hang on. So for a leather flight jacket, jacket we do- said, what? He said, a helicopter. Are you guys at the bar when this conversation? No, was no. Happening? We were in the
1: hooch with the, which is a bar. The you know, bar. Yeah, yeah. I said it. what? What are you talking about? He says we got all sorts of. He said we strike probably three birds a day that they're not even on the inventory anymore, but they're perfectly operational. And he says, but they're not on anybody's inventory anymore. He says, would you like a loach, which is the Hughes five hundred? And we're all going. You
0: got to be kidding me. Sure. Wait, so loach is sorry. Interruption. That's it's a Hughes five hundred. It's a little bird. It's a little bird. It's a little you bird. You see
1: in special ops yeah. like. uh uh, the movie uh, Black Hawk Down. The okay. little birds were so loaches. Bird.
0: So he says, "I'll give you a loach, yeah, for a leather, leather flight, flight jacket,
1: jacket. and uh, sunglasses." Yeah, you guys are drinking our. So right? yeah, so we're going. You know, we've already traded lobster for two air conditioners. So that's a fair deal. So, <laughs> so we laughingly have a ceremony as as he's leaving and uh, give him his flight jacket and sunglasses and don't think anything of it. About a week later, I'm getting ready to go fly and I'm grabbing my flight suit. I mean my. uh getting ready to walk out the airplane, and my gunnery comes running in. And he said, sir, where do you want him to put that Army helicopter? I said, who and what helicopter? And I look down underneath the hangar doors, and I look out there, and there's a loach just all over the place. Last revetment, last revetment, I kept saying. I get on the phone and call into ops where my other crony was that says, Johannesson, get your ass out here. <laughs> and he came out there, and we meet the, the, the warrant officer walking halfway down the flight line now. He said, "I brought your bird." And We're going. You got to be shed me. That's our bird. He said, "Yeah, this is yours." We go. Yeah. We go out there and climb all over it. It was ours. So he spends the night with us. We we had to go fly, and we said, "We'll meet you back at our hootch." You know where we are. He says, "We'll be back there." And then we started thinking, "How are we going to get it back?" Oh, so said so, so I'm the debt commander, we'll put it in a connex box. We'll take it apart. We'll paint it pink, we'll put it in a Connex box, and we'll just take it back Yeah, because you got to take back this helicopter. Yeah, you got to take it back to the States. It. But my yeah. problem was, as I was getting off in Hawaii, I'm trying to think, what in the hell? So we finally decided that it just probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to do. <laughs> so then we didn't know what to ask for. And so he says, anything, I can do anything. So my buddy, who eventually became head of the DEA flight operations, said, uh, how about some Thompson submachine guns and a uh, couple of 45s.
0: You said, oh, I can do that easy. Is this, who are you negotiating with? At the warrant officer.
1: So the? The same warrant officer. Same guy. Yeah. Yeah. You said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So he does. He comes back about in a week later with the Thompson submachine So you're like, gun.
0: hey, look, we can't take, we can't smuggle this helicopter back to America. Yeah. Can yeah. we get three Thompson submachine yeah, guns? Yeah. Because
1: we thought that'd be cool to have a Thompson submachine gun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like the thinking.
1: Yeah, I do too. And it would have been fun for, you know, so, for just home security. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now I really wish I had one. Yeah. So, you know, I could just fire some Browns off to scare the hell out of me, but I don't have to hit anything. So he brings it. We literally are getting ready to uh, take off for uh, the boat. Got the eight birds lined up the night before, and we lower our landing lights and slide the Thompsons up underneath the flight deck initially to make sure it was clear of all cables and anything that could get caught up so it wouldn't crash and burn getting aboard the boat. Now we've got those machine guns with us. And as we're...
0: So you're on the boat. You're yeah, headed at, home. And every night, over. there's a
1: long trip to Hawaii. It's yeah. about an 18-day trip. You guys are hiking. And so... We're thinking every night they're giving lectures about if you have any contraband. Of course, I was worried about my crew chiefs, all those young guys. If you have any marijuana, if you have any grass knocking any of these birds, I will rip your lips off and I will castrate you. you know, you'll know, you be dead. I love you to death, guys, but this is a no bueno. We've, we have survived this ordeal and would lose the last minute. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking – I was getting a little bit more antsy and mm-hmm. in the cell. During that time, I made real fast friends with the XO of the ship, which was a phenomenal relationship to begin with. Here I was now a senior first lieutenant, ca- captain select, and he was a Navy commander. and We were slugging some pops down on board the ship. In <laughs> fact, he had to get off the ship to dry out, I think. <laughs> so they knock on my room one night after we had not Stop partying, but probably about 11 o'clock that night, we somehow, we were 2300, we'd, we'd stopped early and uh, beat on my door and said, you need to come up to the captain's sea cabin. And I'm going, oh, shit. So I got up there, he said, uh, we have an issue. I said, well, what is it, sir? He says, there's been a uh, bad accident on uh, a, a sub, and uh, they need our help. Uh, they do not have the capability they have either a broken spine or a broken back Uh, a sailor who's fell down the ladder well and we've got to expeditiously get him off the sub and get him into our hospital because the carrier had its own hospital and the problem is it was a sub he said have you ever landed on a sub he said well you know (laughs) no you know they don't yeah, that's not in, the teach syllabus, us that. it's not in the syllabus. Marine Corps is a little short. But on I said, can you right draw now? up a diagram and let me see what they got? You know, they've got a broad back over there where the missile launching areas are and everything. So I said, you know, I think there's a way. What's the sea state? You know, what 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 time of day is it going to be? Oh, that's a problem. It's not going to be a day. It's going to be probably about another two hours. What? You know, it was, not, it was a full moon. That was luckily we did have kind of a full moon. I think three quarters of a moon.
0: Okay, so hang out real quick. Yeah, uh, you guys are just finishing a good little little deck party middle of the well, night.
1: Well, probably about twenty three hundred now. that's about three o'clock. Okay, so it's been a few hours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're good. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we're just going to do this before sun comes up. Yeah, totally. You're fine. So and it wasn't like we were. We'd probably had a few pops, but not. It yeah. wasn't anything gross Nothing big. You, no. So. We looked, and I said, well, the key would be to just approach it perpendicular, so I picked my best, one of my best co-pilots, which was the DEA guy, come at it perpendicular to the ship and just get light on the skids. The problem is with those rounded hulls, you could not get the guy, you couldn't extricate him off the boat safely around that. He had to be flat, so they brought him right to the bird and put him on there, and uh, we flew it back over the carrier and. I could do no harm from that point on. That is cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Like doing a CASAVAC kind of nuke sub yeah.
0: in the middle of the night. Yeah.
1: So then we had uh, landing in Hawaii. But before we get to Hawaii, we're still antsy about those damn Thompsons. So oh, we, decide, Thompson's? We, decide, we decide we'll go back on the deck the night before we go into Hawaii. We're going to launch the next morning at eight o'clock. We lower the landing lights, take the Thompsons out. It's, Go to the back, the ass end of the ship, and throw them off the fantail. Oh man! Oh yeah, we just cried. So we just knew they were going to be, you know, they told us that they'd be inspecting us like head to toe. So we land at Barbers Point. There's all sorts of bands playing. The commanding general, the, the brigades there, the colonel is the air group commander. Comes up, and does all this stuff, and then I finally asked this one major. I said, "Well, you're going to put the dogs on the birds. You're going to inspect us. You going to inspect you guys? Heck, no." So I talked to my buddy again. we get behind the bird. I said, kick me in the rear. You know, you kick me in the rear. You know, oh, we practice kicking man. each other. So that was just, that was a lesson learned, though. I said, well, it was a smart thing to do. So, so you somewhere, out, somewhere off Pearl Harbor is two really nice. Probably rusty now by now, though. Yeah, just probably a little rusted. Probably. Thompson <laughs> submachine guns <laughs> yeah. at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> probably near that two-man submarine that the Japs lost.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So... Anyway, so lesson, what's the big lesson learned from that is don't trust. I mean, uh, you know,
1: your, your mind
0: works. Yeah. You're coming back from deployment. Yeah. But let's say tomorrow you get a chance to smuggle back some Thompsons. What do you do now?
1: Yeah. Well, who knows? (laughs) It's just, it's just, uh, the time and place, you know? So we, I do three years there at the first Marine brigade, uh, in Hawaii. We transitioned where I spent, uh, three years to the, uh, J model Cobra, which was uh, twin engine.
0: How was that transition going from Huey gunship really to Cobra? Easy. I mean,
1: it was a snap. It was no problem. You, and you're talking about twin engines now, T four hundred. You're talking about twenty millimeter gun in the nose. It was it was phenomenal.
0: And you're just a shooter now. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's you're in the speed.
1: back seat, uh, the front seat. But I at the time I got to drive both birds all the time, so I got the best of all the worlds, uh, and it was fun. Uh, You know, when it was boring and you weren't, if you're not shooting, it's kind of boring. So if you're doing some other things, it's kind of more fun to have a mixed package. So I got, I stayed current in both of them. Uh, We had 20 airplanes in that ham squadron, which was, we had uh, four A4s, we had six OV-10s, we had uh, uh, six Cobras, and we had uh, six Hueys. So we had more airplanes than the TO of most squadrons
0: did. And the CEO, I mean, it's a CO was sign. the CEO is a lieutenant colonel. Okay, and he's got twenty airplanes. Yeah, five I mean, or six different type, model, yeah, series. Yeah, and so
1: a lot of the group pilots flew the uh, the A fours and the OV tens. We only had like six resident OV ten drivers there in the squadron, but yeah and then uh
0: was there any, were you competing with anybody for airspace out there no not really so you not really we Hawaii. had call
1: lobby we could
0: oh do yeah. whatever you want
1: Yeah, we could do anything we wanted we had three squadrons of f4s there you had 235 which was the bozo noses you had 122 and 121 Ah, okay uh, yeah so we had three uh squadrons and that was the funny thing when we got there now i go i will revert back to the night that we got kicked out of the four clubs in one night and ended up at uh, the 21 Area Club with Frenchie the bartender. Right. We didn't know where Frenchie was. We of course we went to Vietnam. We come into the bar down there in the patio of the lanai for anybody that remembers that that might be listening to this. Every Friday though, the gunship the gun squadrons would all be up there and chugging beers down and competing against each other and What we were you just, guys uh, competing in? They were dr- sw- knocking down beers knocking down beers, down beers, so beers, some, kids, some, beers some intellectual Olympics uh, knocking them down <laughs> very competitive athletes uh knocking them down and we kind of just came to the door not the door because the hole in eye is wide open but we just came and stood there for a while in our flight suit and we we're watching this whole thing go down and started to make a step over for the bar to get a cold one and Frenchie said stand by the real gunfighters are here nice. and i couldn't believe it i said "Frenchie, i can't believe this Frenchie, in the meantime had won the lottery in california won three million dollars and had moved to he hawaii. really won the lottery he won the lottery won three million dollars in california and moved to hawaii where he and his wife bought a little bungalow and he just couldn't stand being looked cooped up all the time and started tending bar out there at the uh at Candy Way Bay at the Officers club good for Frenchie. yeah but Frenchie was a great friend from the those three years i had yeah. Frenchie taking care of me i mean i'd pull out the bar and see anything i wanted and uh it was it was a uh, it was a good tour it was a good tour it nice. was kind of mixed it was uh, op tempo was uh relaxed probably the first nine months high the next 18 months and then back uh to nine months and guess who i was working with as the air officer for the uh for fmf pack someone i should know yeah it was a great santini nice so three times in my life i worked for don conroy basically you could say you know we'd report to him for big missions that we would put together outside yeah. of a, the thing so that was kind of an amazing thing i told his pretty dad, good luck for, a, for I, a polish dude man oh yeah i mean
0: you know like i said i've
1: i flew out of the 27 years i was in i flew for uh 21 of those years
0: see that the, i man that's amazing yeah
1: i was blessed I was blessed to be alive. Totally. Yeah. God was looking after me. Man. So we had a It was good, those Polish 100s back yeah, in the day. Polish 100s, yeah, Polish 100s. I man. studied a lot. Yeah. C plus. Yeah, C pluses.
0: So, all right. So you're you're in Hawaii. You're finishing up there. You're I mean, awesome up there, tour, Hanging yep. out with Frenchie. He wins yep. the lottery. And then, then what's get, next?
1: Get, go to uh, AWS. Transition to, uh, I hated it. Hated the idea. But if there was anything that I learned early on was there's no such thing as a perfect career path, you know. I will tell you one of the anecdotal stories there, the career planners for the Marine Corps came in and it was at that time, uh, the first year I was back that we got an 18% raise that we were hurting. I mean, they were bleeding hemorrhaging. I mean, people were getting out left and right and the Marine Corps. All the services got an 18% raise.
0: Uh, that's a nice jump.
1: It was a great jump at the time. Cause we were, when I made captain I was over, uh, over four for all practical purposes, uh, We were all right, but uh, that 18% really, really, really helped. I remember distinctly Headquarters Marine Corps having this team in and this full colonel was giving a presentation. And he says, now, are there any questions? And in this group were all the uh, NCOs and uh, the staff NCOs and officers. And this gunnery sergeant in the back of the room raised his hand and said, sir, I take exception to everything you've said today. And he said, well, well, Gunny, what? He says, my brother— there's a dancing bear at Disneyland and he has better benefits than I do. <laughs> of course it brought the audience down to their knees. Everybody's laughing at the Colonel had a hard time getting uh, uh, yeah. one credibility back. Sure, yeah. Dancing bear at Disneyland and my, his benefits are a lot better than mine are. So, you know, just, 18% nice. Uh,
0: yeah, so that, that was
1: out. a nice, that was a nice uh, hit. So we gather our family up and we moved to Virginia for, uh, AWS, uh,
0: so, AWS.
1: AWS, Amphibious Warfare School. Got it. Not EWS. No. Now. So yeah, it was AWS yeah, back yeah, in the oh day. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. It was Amphibious, Amphibious Warfare School. School. Was yes. it
0: as fun then as it is now? Oh, yeah. We had, uh, we used to. Was this resident? So, you were up in Quantico? Yeah, we
1: were living there for nine months. Okay. And a lot of times we would, uh, we, we got, we figured out the system. And, you know, if your cover's there at your desk <laughs> and your keys are there at your desk, that That's means an old trick, man. You're in the building. You're still there. You're there, and we would put our covers and keys there, and we'd go I would go fishing, uh, or would go to the bar somewhere, and <laughs> would come back later on and would proceed. After you've been, yes, yeah, studied. Proceed I never will forget the the German U boat driver who sat next to me. And he wait, was so you figure. guys, had, it was
0: inner service, right? So oh, yeah. multiple. So had, who was in your class? So you had a German U boat driver.
1: Oh, we had uh, a couple of Norwegians couple of vietnamese still at the time nice german U boat driver and that was the interesting thing he says baba he called baba he says what do you call a place that sells beer i said well you know we have different names bar saloon cocktail lounge there's all sorts of different names i said what do you you call it in germany and he thought for a minute and he says i think we call it everywhere (laughs) <laughs> that's so true I said good point yeah yeah good point as I, I i took that with me so then after aws i sent to i went to new river to the second wing and uh, became uh, the model manager for the november model uh twin engine uh huey that came out and uh did that for two years uh, then went to uh back to okinawa did a west coast uh tour out there in okinawa for a year flying a lot of good flying, a lot of
0: deployments. What was your? Are you department head now?
1: Uh, I was uh, senior senior captain. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you're I the was, bull captain. Yeah, I'm bull captain. How
0: was the bull captain role? So now, I mean, you're in a you know Cobras, Hueys. You know, you're an HMLA squadron bull yeah. captain. How's that? Because I know bull captain in a fighter squadron, it's a pretty damn good time. Yeah,
1: it was a good time, and we and we just the key was to that is. You know, you made friends and the right friends, and it seemed like the people that you were closest to were the people of some competence. Uh, I was very lucky, as a matter of fact. I, I hesitate here because the CEO of the squadron had me writing fitness reports on the majors.
0: Nice, because he didn't. You could have some fun it. with that.
1: He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Uh, he didn't want to do. He birds. didn't want to do it, Got and it. He, to be quite honest with you, he wasn't able, capable of doing
0: it. Or did yeah. you take advantage of this opportunity? You no, know, that was fun? fair. That okay. was fair
1: because I, I think we were, you know, you remember when you were going through, you could see through all the BS. Yeah. So I wrote the fitness reports for. I would give him a rough draft, obviously, both the grades and the and the oral. I sure. mean, in the in the written. Yeah. Uh, but that that was good, and we were ended up being out at Hamby Field, so we were at our own private air facility, so that was all good. After that, I came back. And uh, I was tired. I'd been beat up. Uh, I was just tired, and I was almost getting out of the Marine Corps. And they said, do not do that. I mean, so
0: you're at nine years, eight, yeah, nine years?
1: Yeah, just in the zone for major.
0: Okay, you're in zone, and you're thinking about getting out. Yeah,
1: and because uh, I was going to open up a water slide in Texas.
0: That was your backup plan? Yeah. I was Dude, gonna, you're, up a you're a perfect slide. Marine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing when you get out? Oh, I'm going to open up a water slide mm-hmm. farm in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's going to go well. We're going yeah, well, to make millions. I'm going to make millions. I had the business plan. And the thing that threw a wrench into
1: that thing is all of a sudden the big pumps were nothing more than the huge pumps that like literally take the water out of ships, you know, and pump the water overboard. Right. Know? They had a problem with delivery and I couldn't open the slide. My business model had me opening it up that summer to take advantage of the whole thing. And I couldn't get the pumps until... Until September, so, so water
0: says, water slide dream falls apart. Well, it and falls then, apart,
1: but but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, like Marine Corps said, don't get out. We want you to go to motts and I said motts What is that? I said so we're standing up, and I will tell you for the first time in the history of the Marine Corps, you know, under the leadership uh, initially of uh, Wilson, uh, the commandant, we uh, with the help of uh, General Barrow and uh, some other folks. The Marine Corps was the first ever to step out and be the leader in a tactical scenario. You had Top Gun, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is, in the fixed-wing side of things, you had to be a Top Gun graduate to go to Mots at the time. So we were, uh, were going to reinvent, try to stay up with the Soviets. It was headed up by a great American, uh, great pilot, his own right, a guy named Howard DiCastro, call sign Lop so you had a you had a fixed wing department and you had a tactical department which was your helicopters we had two experts in both the attack aircraft 53s 46s you had and we in fact were the ones that trained for the iranian raid the, the one that the desert
0: got it so before we get too far into Motts, so yeah MOTS is Marine Aviation Marine Weapons and Tactics, tactics Squadron 1. So this is, you know, I was for, a plank
1: holder in MOTS.
0: Okay. So it's so it's the inception of MOTS. Yeah. So these are our, where all years. the Marine Corps ninjas go to yeah. to 3 get. years.
1: Okay. 3 years. So it's, I mean you're flying. It's
0: ground floor MOTS. What was your initial role? The
1: primary instructor.
0: So you're you're building the syllabus. We're you're, building
1: the syllabus and we're we're training. We had two of the major exercises a year you went through MOTS. Yep. And you had two of the No, major no I exercises. I supported. I didn't okay, go as a student. Okay. Okay. But. But uh, we had two major exercises a year, and then you went out to the squadrons, taught. We uh, were the first to fly the night vision goggles, but these are Anvis 1s. Got it. It it was like the technology (laughs) was like looking through a toilet paper tube. One diopter was out so that you could see the shadows that you could see, and the other diopter was inside trying to read the gauges. You had no peripheral vision at all, none, nada. Sounds awesome. So you had to move your head all the time. My neck grew. Two inches from flying with those things because they weighed, uh, I think they weighed two and a half pounds, but you put two and a half pounds on your head for three hours, it gets pretty tiring. Sure. So uh, we did that. There's a couple of flights. Uh, We never flew much over 500 feet, a lot of times in the dark. Got to teach at the uh, Army Command and Staff College. I did two electives there for them for two years. What'd Uh, you teach? I mean, tactics. tactics, special tactics for okay. gunships. So
0: are you guys now, I mean, the technology right now, so it's been a few years. So what are you guys still carrying? Is there anything, has the technology in the weapon systems you know, oh, expanded? Yeah. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What are you guys yeah, the the carrying fire, right the now? The fire
1: control systems are, you know, automated, everything. They can navigate. We, we we still, at that time, to be quite honest, when we were worried about the threat, we would go to a radio shack and buy fuzzbusters and put them in the windscreen of our and hot wire them to our systems and put them in the windscreen of our Cobras so that we could tell that we were being painted by radar. We had none. We had no capability to be painted. I'm telling you. Or at least to indicate in that months. you were being yeah, painted. Yes, it would indicate that we were So you being would painted. buy Fuzzbusters. Fuzzbusters.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's Marine Corps. Yeah. Love, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Improvising.
1: Now, the whiskey came along, and it was better, November models. But we, we, we truly saw... Uh, the best of the best come through there, and 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 because of the pioneers like De Castro and those kind of guys, we did a great job. I think uh, put the Marine Corps in a position to to meet the threat mm-hmm. for there. And then you years. said you
0: guys had the training for the Iranian hostage. Yes, now that rescue. was something
1: totally different when they first did that. And I will not get too much into this because I was not a fifty three driver. They tried to make it initially a uh, very purple suit to, of course, give every service their due. So they had X number of Air Force 53 drivers, X number of Navy 53 drivers, X number of of uh, uh, Marine Corps drivers. But it seemed like most of the Marine Corps drivers, of course, were MOTS. All of our MOTS instructors at the school, which we had three. Jim Schaefer was head of the, MOTS, uh, the Tactics Department, so he was there. So we had three 53 drivers. And then a lot of guys who had graduated from uh, the course. Okay. And as we trained, we trained out of uh, YPG, which is the proving ground for the yeah, Army. The human proving Ground. yeah. Uh And it would hide the birds when the satellites would fly over because they were taking pictures. We had wanted everything to be secret. The best range we had that would s- best simulate the terrain that we were operating in would be the run from ypg up through vegas and nellis the mountains through there one of the interesting training aids that we came up with was to be able to check again we're still using ancient and honorable stuff with stuff being a polite word for we had nothing right carter was giving us this mission with nothing but the guys salute and they were doing a great job with what they had you're still using the same canvas that we had. And how long
0: was the prep in advance? So did they give you like a D-Day for the yeah, mission? Yeah.
1: I can't talk temp- to that. I'm not smart enough to know that. Got I it. wasn't involved in that. I was only involved in the support side. Okay. Get us here. Get us some of these things. Do this. Do that. Because I wasn't a 53 driver or a 53 instructor. Sure. And one thing I did do is support sometimes when missions to grade. See if they were just to, to help out. Right. One of the things we would do is it would put... Uh, road cones out with a strobe in it so that they navigate low level so they'd have to get directly over the road cone. To see the strobe. To see the strobe. So tail and Charlie of the four birds, you'd have a Huey out here looking and marking by number one, found it, is it station moving to station two, and you'd mark it all down, see who would make it and who could do it and who couldn't, all right? Right. Because you had no, we had no JP, we had no, nav aids you're plotting you had nothing map
0: old school nothing right
1: still and this is 1980s mm-hmm. 80 uh, 79 80s 79, 80, yep. one time during christmas tail and charlie was coming and he's listening to his crew, sir you're over the target you're over the target come down come down he was going oh my god oh my god pretty soon all these lights come on Quick, wave off, wave off. We're shooting an approach to a house. They had literally, were landing on top of a house that had a Christmas tree with a light on top of it, and they were shooting the approach because they were tailing Charlie and they had to pick up the last road cone. Yeah. They were landing on top of the house. Wave off. No. Wave off. Now. We later found out there wasn't a dish that wasn't broken in that house. Oh man. Can, the rotor wash of a fifty three, you've yeah. been around it a lot. Yeah. They had a German Shepherd that was bigger than Dallas pinned up against the the, the cyclone fence barking like
2: purr, 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 just pinned <laughs> up
1: against the fence. Wave off. Yeah, sorry, of course buddy. the porch lights come on, all the lights come on, hell hits the fence, they come out and look. There's nothing there. Aliens must have been a ufo
0: yeah it was aliens
1: yeah that was some of the more humorous uh <laughs> stories that, that happened. Do you, yeah you got,
0: do you just how's the debrief on that one yeah hey, really dash four no, you're yeah, not remember.
1: you're no longer in the yeah. the queue remember you're,
0: when you landed on that house yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. fired you're fired uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so it ended up being pretty much a very strong uh marine corps operation at the end of the day but still with very minimal and flying through that dust storm just ate the turbines up. I mean, it was just, it was an impossible task. Mm-hmm. But the will of the men was just phenomenal. And then, of course, when we had the collision in the desert, I flew, they flew me direct to uh, the burn center in San Antonio, where my job was to keep the people out of the, the ward with our, or with our pilots. Okay. And to kind of make sure that no just press, press. Okay. got in there and everything. So I was there when Carter came in, when Kennedy came in to visit them. Kennedy asked Well I hope this isn't too political. He's gone now, bless his heart, but Kennedy asked how 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 uh hot was the fire? You got a guy laying there in loincloth, his fingers looked like lobsters split open. He had no other clothes on, had white powder on from the Yeah. How hot was the fire? I, I whispered into Schaefer's ears, to ask him how cold was the water. You uh, chap and yeah, you know, he started laughing, everybody looked around, but it was uh that was the only kind of bad moment there. But uh they took very good care of our guys. And Schaefer to this day swears by the quality of care he got there. Nice. Yeah. That's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Then went on from Months, went to command and staff college. Okay.
0: How was that? Did you guys just leave your keys Another and cover year? at the desk yeah. and, and go yeah. to the bar? Well, it it is a
1: little bit more controlled. But that's when I first met Zinny, who later on became, you know, ranch. Yep. Powerful guy. Uh, he used to say I was his dependent. He was lieutenant colonel instructor there, and uh, we became good friends, served on a couple of boards together. He was a great general for us. Then after that, I w- had my two years in uh, headquarters Marine Corps. How was that? Yes. Yes? Yes. <laughs> uh, I I worked for the worst leader I'd ever worked for in my life. Okay. Uh, he wanted to make general in the worst way. And if there was a takeaway that I ever – had with any of my guys says there's no such thing as a perfect career path if i would look back at mine of course i would say mine was perfect uh i chose to get out they didn't make me get out yet mm-hmm. but uh and i had a good thing going but what was your wife, role
0: up at headquarters marine corps
1: i was in manpower and i was aviation side of manpower i was actually the guy that implemented the pilot bonus the first time it was implemented oh
0: nice thanks for that yeah appreciate it yeah
1: so Uh, That was hell trying to get everybody to support everybody across the board. It was, you know, when the first guys come out this says, "Okay, only the front seat's going to get it, the back seat's not going to get it." So, what do you do for morale? What do you do for morale? Yeah, when 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 the
0: yeah the pilots getting in, the whizos not or vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: How do you do that? I don't care. I don't care if you got a problem with uh, numbers. How are you going to just justify this? This isn't what we're about. But we we went out overall, uh, did that, and then from there they needed help at the basic school that's yeah where so the this, is, this
0: is interesting so the flag goes up the flag goes up. i got to call in reinforcements i just at been the basic selected school. for lieutenant colonel all right so you're 05 they said we need a guy
1: who's an attack guy and when they said attack they were talking a4 a6 monitor shop said we got a guy that's the guy so anyway i go out there and so the first thing the guy that's there who's an a6 driver says let's go for a run so we go for a long run and he's just trying to make sure I don't puke and fall out, and I stay with him. Yeah. He asked me a bunch of questions, and then takes me down to see Roe. Roe and I became, at that time, and Roe's been dead now for, after after Desert Storm, Roe was a brigadier general, and he was killed changing a tire on the interstate there in California. He was probably one of the finest guys. Was he there when you were there? At TBS? Yeah, no, 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 no. He was the finest, one of my finest friends. He and I became dear, dear friends. And uh, uh, it was always funny how the prejudice was there. Now, what, what year were you here at the basic school? I'd go, I didn't go to the basic school. I <laughs> Is this in the,
0: the interview process? Yeah, part the, of it. And then later the on, everybody, because
1: CA. I was so high up yeah. there, they would just go, oh, my God, especially all the lieutenants. What year so were who, you here, sir?
0: Did they even know you hadn't gone to the basic they school? They did
1: when I told
0: them I hadn't even been here. This they year. didn't look in your... I mean, they just assume, I'm sure, yeah, they would assume sure, every marine officer sure, goes to the basic sure. school, except for this guy. Who
1: mm-hmm. was in a hurry to get to Vietnam. So, so how was
0: the basic school as a CO? I wasn't a CO.
1: Okay. I was the num- uh, number three guy. For,
0: All right. Yeah, yeah.
1: But how was it? It was great. It was a great tour because I lived right in the back. It was close. It was the first time I'd ever had a quality of life with my family, to be quite honest with you. That was the first real good look.
0: So you, you live on base or off base?
1: I lived off base. We lived in a place called Aquia Harbor which was a gated community. had a My daughter was into horses. We had an equestrian center and all
0: that Good stuff. family time. Yeah, it was
1: great. So from there, I got selected to be the XO of the 11th Mew under a guy named Charlie Wilhelm. General He was probably the smartest other than Mike Hagee, who became a commandant. Hagee sat in the desk across from me on headquarters, Marine Corps. Charlie Wilhelm was the smartest guy I ever knew, but Charlie liked to work uh, 400 days a year, 27 hours Got it. And I'm not afraid of hard work, but you need some time for the for the men. But when we deployed, we were none of the senior officers to include the Commodore or the ship captain or anybody else could understand why the the Mew staff was the only staff that wasn't going on liberty or doing
0: anything. Oh man.
1: So that was hard. But we were a phenomenal Mew. Did it. We were a Mao going out the first time, then we became a Mew. Mao was Marine Amphibious Unit. Okay. Then we became Marine Expeditionary Unit. It all changed in the 2 years I was gone. I had more time on ship than most navy guys did.
0: And we're, of, was this a East Coast mule?
1: It was a West Coast mule. West Coast. All right. So we were, I was on the uh Peleliu and the and the uh Bella
0: Woods. So this is mid 80s?
1: Uh this Early was 80s? the late 80s. Late 80s. All right. Late 80s. Anything going on? Yeah. Well, uh I mean that Thinking not, back. Not, not 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 really juicy. There was some clandestine stuff that we did near the Thai border and stuff like that. Sure, not 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 much.
0: We'll do we'll we do that on seal. the top secret version of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good to go.
1: But uh, it was still we had a lot of I had special SEAL team guys with me that worked for me. I was SEAL of troops, so I had a lot to do with those guys, and uh, they were different. First time I'd ever had SEALs working for me. How was that? It was good. Yeah. They had some toys. Oh, I bet. They had I mean, they got toys, toys now, but, I mean. They had some toys. Even then, I'm sure they, they had the they best had toys. They had black
0: boats that were just so cool.
1: I mean, they could do anything. So did it. they,
0: I mean, obviously, there's there can't be that many, right? How many SEALs run with you?
1: Uh, I think I had 14. Okay.
0: And the rest are Marines. Yeah. So how was the culture with those guys? You got a, you know, a couple SEALs. It was good.
1: It was good. They didn't pass. They used to PO everybody to do the zone inspections because they didn't pass. They live like pigs. <laughs> but you didn't. You learned to. I mean, I finally, it bothered me for about the first two months, and then I finally just said, you know what, as long as they do their job yeah, right. I mean, you got these dudes walking around with full beards, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they were spe- special. And yeah. at that time, I had not been around anybody like that before. Okay. So, you know, so then I uh, came back from uh, that part of the, uh, the career, and, uh, and I was flying that whole time. I got to fly a lot. came back and uh, went over to the air group, There at Camp Pendleton and uh, got a squadron, went back to 267. I became
0: Stinger 6. Stinger 6.
1: Then took over the MAG as a a, a MAG commander there, MAG 39. Then went to the Army War College where, you know, you have uh, eight Marines and about 450 Army colonels. It was equal, Mm -hmm. even there. And then they gave me uh, MAG 42 after there. And I had uh, F-18s. Uh, 53s, 46s, Cobras, Hueys, and C-130s.
0: That's down in Dallas, right?
1: No, uh, it was in Atlanta.
0: Atlanta. Yeah, the Cowboys are in Dallas, the 41. Actually. 41, okay, correction. Yeah. So this is... So I had
1: New Orleans, Cecil, which is Jacksonville. Yep. Uh, Norfolk in Atlanta. We moved the Jets up from Cecil when they closed Cecil in the BRAC, moved them up to uh, Atlanta. What airfield? You guys at uh, Dobbins? Dobbins? Dobbins. Dobbins. I had OV-10s. I gave those OV10s. They were YOV10s. They were the good OV10s. I had uh, OV10s, and we gave those to, uh, I want to say, uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and ATF, which is, of course, the first thing they do is bolt the seats down. They don't use the seats anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't have seat techs or anything. So, they get so I had those. I, I was gone all the time. That was the most challenging time because I had squadrons with. The Marine Corps throws, you know, we do it unique, and it's it's very it's quite impressive. I had only worked with the reserve squadrons through my mu my uh, Motts experience, go to round and teach, but you know we throw probably in a TO of people manpower at a any given site co- co- to town in New Orleans, for example, the Nova, the Huey site had probably 130 active duty guys, and then you have the reserves that come in and drill on top of them. So the stat commander there is a lieutenant colonel, active duty, mm-hmm. active duty, not reserves. And he usually has a guy that's uh active reservist as his XO. And then you have a bunch of XOs. I mean, uh, a lot of uh, support. So I probably had, out of the 4,500 Marines, I probably had 1,800 that were
0: active duty and the rest were reservists. Jeez, that's a that's a busy... Yeah, we were and there's busy. There's a lot going on. Were you still flying? Yeah. I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah. Now. You know, yeah, then we were doing the special ops
1: stuff, yeah. a lot of special ops stuff. We sent a lot of guys. Uh, we trained a lot of the Turkish pilots how to fly the Whiskey Cobra. Uh, we did a lot of drug ops down South America.
0: So you got some other stories? Yeah. yeah, Got a couple. Did you have a portion of your career or a billet where it was kind of the, like that's resonated with you Uh the most? Probably
1: the whole learning thing I learned was, you know, treat your people right. That There's no such thing as a perfect career path. Do the best you can at what you got. I found that probably this thing that came to be a a buzzword for a while, it bothers some leaders, but I I don't like the word careerism because it really is, it's a cancer. Sure. There's a lot of people I saw who were affected by careerism, and I know that that had some dilatory had some negative effect on their Mm -hmm. performance because they were worried about what would look good.
0: So what was your philosophy my philosophy, your... I
1: didn't learn careerism. I did what was best for, for everybody. Of course, I'd have somebody
0: in. My my brief would be,
1: you know, you're allowed to make a mistake. You just can't make it twice, you know. And I, I said, you got to have fun at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I had a general tell me one time. He said, Beaver, you know the thing about you is, he says, and I don't want to say this because I don't like bragging, but he said, <laughs> you're the away, best man. commander I've ever had. <laughs> he says, but it always looks like, Everything's too simple for you. You're having too much fun. And I guess that was the takeaway. You got to love what you do. Sure. I said going in, as I think has been the model of you too, and I've been impressed with that is, you know, I want to be in charge of what happens to me. I'll stay until it either stops being fun or they tell me I've got to go. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't ready to go when I went, but my bride who had put up with me and my act for. 27 plus years. 27 years. Plus, you know, and she beforehand, she used to say, when you get out of this fraternity, you're really going to mature. And <laughs> she said, when you when you get into the Marine Corps. <laughs> I don't know, man. When you're gonna, I don't know. She said, when you're going to get out of the Marine Corps, you're really going to, when you get into the Marine Corps, you're going to mature. And yeah. she said, when you make first lieutenant, you're going to mature. And then finally after major, she said, you know, you're never going to mature. Yeah, that are you. And sailed, I said, man. No, I said, it's sailed. sailed. But she was there by me, and she simply said to me one day, says, You've got a phenomenal career going for yourself, but I'll be here when you get back. You keep going. And I said, "Now it's time. If you that's the way you feel. So we got out there in Atlanta. I got into the business world. But I'll tell you about the first mess night I ever went to in Atlanta. And then we'll close with this.
0: Why don't we, uh, let's do that. Let's All finish right. with a good mess night story, right. and then we'll call yeah. it a day. Yeah. So I've been asked to give
1: a speech at the Navy mess night. And I talk a little bit. You know, we're wearing the finery that nobody looks better. Right. Like I said, that's it's why I came thing. in. That's a real That's thing. why I came in. I got all my stuff on. And so the captain of the uh, air station had two very high-powered civilians who wanted to party with us afterwards. And so we went to this typical watering hole there in uh, near, on Peachtree. Mm-hmm. Every street's in Atlanta, Peachtree. And I go up to the bar. I may get a little emotional here. Yeah, fire away, man. Story. No worries. I go up to the bar, and this guy comes up to me and says, Colonel, I want to buy you a drink. And I said, well, you don't have to do that. He says, no, I want to buy you a drink. He says, an, an aviator saved my life in Vietnam. So I said, well. So he said, let me tell you the story. So he starts telling me the story. And as he's telling me all about it, this one particular uh, hill that was being overtaken and overrun, And they had gotten everybody off but him, the radio operator. Uh, He was a a corporal, radio operator, and the AO, or the uh, I guess the FAC, and one other guy. And they were the last ones on the hill, and the bad guys were coming up the hill, and everybody had left because they had to make a run. He said the only thing left was a gunbird that was heavy. And he says they came in hard landing picked us up and then slid down the mountain, saved us. At last, as we were coming down the other side of the mountain, the bad guys are coming over the top of the hill. He saved our life. He says, I will never, and as he's telling me this, a few things are clicking in my head. Mm -hmm. Everything he's saying is, I remember something like that. I remember something like this. But I I still hadn't put it all together yet. Until he said, I will never forget his call sign. And I said, what was his call sign? He said, Comprise 3 1. I said, You know who you're talking to? I said, You're talking to Comprise 3 1. And uh, I saved that guy's I mean, my co pilot and I saved, my crew saved his life. But I mean, that was, drove home everything you made fun of, you know, all the fun you had in the ready room, the quality of Marines that were left behind. Mm-hmm. It's all done for something. And I swear to God, I only went into that bar about seven more times. <laughs> but every time I went into that bar, that same guy was there, and I get, never had to buy a got cocktail. Some more drinks out of but it. he was so proud, and he was just like he just lit up. He just, he broke down as it started. Yeah, I said I am comprised. Well,
0: I don't know if we can. Uh, I don't know if we can beat that story to finish it up strong. So, I think uh, I think we'll start to wrap it up. Just a couple things, I think. So first off, Don, thanks for your service, man. Twenty seven years, hell of a career, amazing stories, a lot of cool lessons learned. Uh, my takeaways are there's a few. Um, you know, if you smuggle a submachine gun out of Vietnam, you know, finish the job, bring it home. And then also, if you're gonna land a, you know, a Huey on a nuclear sub, it's easier during the daytime. Is that fair? That's fair. That's fair. That's okay. Fair. So Don. Uh, again, thanks. It's been awesome. But at this time, I'm going to turn it over to you, man. Any closing thoughts, saved rounds? The floor is yours, sir. No,
1: it's, all of this was possible because of the Marines around you. You know, I had the opportunity to work for a lot of great people. But in most cases, it didn't feel like you were working for anybody, but you were part of a team. And I think uh, whether you're in the civilian world or whether you're in the military, that's the goal that you're aiming for, whether you're a department head or you're the commanding officer, the responsibility you have is to make sure that everybody feels wanted and valuable, uh, that they can all contribute. Like I said, I had some that were total losers as leaders. I firmly believe there's no such thing as a natural-born leader. I think you've learned uh, from the best, and hopefully you uh, learn from the weakest. You just take the best and put that in your brain housing group and you take the week and you throw it away because uh at the end of the day we're all responsible for one another and again it doesn't matter if it's civilian life or if it's the military world i remember one anecdotal story when i first checked into the last major command i had that the commandant sent me down to fix he literally said get down there and fix this shithole and i it was general Mundy, it was a great great commandant and I'm walking the halls, <clears throat> and they're very proud of this place, and it was a sergeant major, and I noticed on the wall there was this box. I said, sergeant major, what is this on the wall? And he said, well, sir, that's a, a suggestion box. And I simply looked at him, and I said, uh, knowing full well the history of this particular outfit, I looked at him and said, do you vote around here? And he looked at me with kind of strange look. He says, vote? What, what do you mean, sir? He says, you know, I said, in the Marine Corps, we don't vote. I said, we defend democracy, but we don't practice it. Do you kind of agree with that? And he was caught off guard a little bit, and I said, you know, where's the head? I've got to make a head call. I said, uh, and by the way, he said, I uh, can't make you take that off the wall because I'm not the commanding officer yet, but by noon tomorrow, I would like that box removed from the wall. I'd no sooner. Went to the head and came back, and there were four big bolt holes in the wall where that thing had been ripped from the wall. And the bottom line is, is uh, trust your leadership. Trust your staff NCOs. Trust your leadership. You don't have to take a vote to see if everything's going well. Sure. You're trained to make those decisions. So I was blessed. I had the best tour of my life. The worst thing anybody could ever worry about is, am I doing the right thing for my career? I don't care if you're the coffee mess officer. Are you the flight line officer, or you're the ODO, or whatever you are? Just do the best you can at all you
0: do. There you go. All right. I think we should just call it. That's a good note to finish out. What do you think? I think. Okay. Simplify, guys. For uh, for Colonel Don, Bubba Beaver, and myself, Susan, we are uh, signing off. We'll see you next time.